in the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. This episode of the Paracast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. And now, on with the show. Our co-host this week is Christopher O'Brien. Coming up later on the show, we'll have Leslie Kane with a fascinating new book. It's been a while since she's been here. The last time she was on the PowerCast, she did say she was writing a book. And it's not just a book that she wrote. It's one that she wrote with a number of co-authors and or contributors, including an introduction by John Podesta, who's very big muckety-muck in the Clinton administrations and the Obama administrations, so we look forward to what's going to happen there. But when you think of a book that contains reports, official reports or documents about UFOs, my mind goes back in time to the 1950s. When I first read a UFO book, I was very, very young in the 1950s. Understand this. I'm not as old as I look or as I feel. But I did, <laughs> I did read a book called Flying Saucers from Outer Space by Major Donald Kehoe, replete with reports from military people, police officers, scientists, supposedly trained observers seeing something strange in the sky displaying all sorts of incredible maneuverability. And Kehoe believed then, and I think believed till possibly the end of his life, that there would be disclosure, that we would have ultimately have the government tell us, yeah, E.T. is here, and we're going to have to deal with it. Now, Chris, when you first got involved in studying the paranormal, did you think there would be some kind of eminent disclosure, some kind of vindication? Well, I think um, I'm kind of, um, when I started out, I was, I was of two minds. I, I, I think I emotionally uh, was attached to that outcome, but I think uh, very, very quickly... I realized that um, that it was a pipe dream, and as the years have gone by now, I've been involved uh, fairly actively uh, in this field for 20 years now. Every year that goes by, I get less and less doubtful that uh, disclosure, even if they wanted to disclose what they know about UFOs in terms of, of, of a government, an official government disclosure, that uh, it's it's absolutely uh, it's inconceivable to me that something like that will ever happen. Um, first of all, I don't feel, uh, based on my research, that the government fully knows enough to really disclose something. And number two, even if they did, they've been lying for 60 years. How could we believe them? That's the other point, too. We are taught nowadays not to believe the government. The government is lying. We learned that on 24-7 cable TV. So if the liberals are in charge, the conservatives say they're lying. If the conservatives are in charge, the liberals say they're lying. Or everybody's lying. So yeah. <laughs> if the government says there are no UFOs, we shouldn't believe them. If they say there are, we shouldn't believe them because we don't believe government. Why the disconnect? Well, that's, uh, that's a $64 million question at this point in time. Um, I think one of the things that they've done very effectively is Number one, compartmentalize the information. And number two, I think a lot of the real sensitive, uh, high technology information is in the hands of the private sector. 
and um, you can't do an FOIA request, as we'll find out. Leslie is is a master at uh, the Freedom of Information Act request. Um, you can't do an FOIA to a private corporation. So is that part of the scam here that you send stuff out to private industry? I mean, that even goes back to Philip Corso in that controversial book, The Day After Roswell, that he wrote with Bill Burns. He said then that they were funneling alien technology into private industry, so therefore it disappears, it becomes proprietary to a company's technology. Exactly. So that's, that's, uh, I think that's a major, major stumbling block for any sort of uh, disclosure process. I think where our best chance for this, you know, a disclosure of information uh, comes from the public sector, and I think that we need to do more um, well-funded hard data monitoring research and investigation of these events to uh, for the public to be able to determine for itself uh, you know what these objects are number one and potentially at some point where they are emanating from uh, I again going through Leslie's book uh, I see the extraterrestrial hypothesis is a foregone conclusion throughout the whole book, and we're gonna we're gonna talk. I'm gonna talk with her about that. I don't see any suggestion of any official um, thinking uh, out of the box in terms of what these objects are and who could be piloting them. It gets to be kind of complicated here, and I'm definitely going to want to talk to her further also about what she thinks about this. And this is not going to be an ambush, ladies and gentlemen. We don't do ambushes. We're here to get information. Yeah, sometimes we get some pretty crazy people, and they will be treated appropriately. But this takes us back to some of the, as they say, the wrong impressions about the PowerCast over the years. We've done close to 250 episodes over four and a half years. And about a dozen episodes, we've had people on the show who we had to kind of jump on because they were being deceptive, they were being out-and-out crazies, and we did appropriate things in our responses. 95% of the time, we're very respectful to everybody, but those 12 episodes gave us sort of a reputation. (laughs) You know, it's like, you know, it doesn't matter that, you're good 99.5% of the time, but if you are a little bit, you know, a little bit obnoxious 0.5% of the time, you live it down forever. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you mean us, Kimosabi? That's true, actually. We can go into that, too. It was me and somebody else. <laughs> but then, you know, you'll get your turn. I'm sure I will. You've only been with us a few months. Wait till you've been here a while and we get a few crazy people. You'll see how to treat it. But, you know, that takes us, of course, back to the problem with disclosure. I'm in favor of disclosure about UFOs if the government knows something. Sure, we want to know what's happening. I understand there could be an impact to society. But I worry about some of these people who are involved in exopolitics, and they not only expect disclosure, they want us to know what will be disclosed, at least according to what they believe. Yeah, well, that's, you know, going into any sort of scenario like this with preconceptions uh, is is a minefield. And I think, again, that uh, the real answers aren't being held, I think, uh, by government. I think we're dealing with uh, the military-industrial complex, I think, is is the holder of the most closely guarded secrets. And, uh, again, this is another good question to ask us, Leslie. Yeah, and definitely the military-industrial complex. Remember, President Eisenhower warned us about them. He gave out that warning when he was leaving his second term. And remember, 
He was part of the military, a general. So certainly he knew <laughs> what was you going on. He knew the dangers. <laughs> he foretold something. And when we get into more politically oriented discussions, maybe we'll consider that as it relates to our fields of study. Well, it's going to be a very, very interesting uh, show today. I'm really enjoying Leslie's book. This is one of the best books I've ever read on the UFO subject. And uh, I can see why. It's one of the few UFO books in recent years. It's actually a hardcover. Uh, <laughs> so I think this is going to be fun. Uh, she did a very good job. She's a top-notch investigative re researcher. And and there's some some pretty, uh, pretty impressive co-authors uh, to this work. Well, that's one of the things that we're going to be covering. The name of the book, by the way, neighbors, is UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. It's a very long title, so we'll just call it UFOs. The author is Leslie Kane. She's an investigative reporter and also co-founder of the Coalition of Freedom of Information. So she's done a lot to try to get the information that the government might be withholding from us. Our co-host this week is Chris O'Brien. I just want to remind you that you can interact with us this way. Go to forum.thepowercast.com, forum.thepowercast.com, and join up with our message boards where you can post your comments about shows and, as a matter of fact, almost anything in particular. I'm Gene yep. Steinberg. You're in The Paracast. As you know, the PowerCast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks. With more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers, for listeners of the PowerCast, Audible.com is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One book to consider, for example, is Above Top Secret, the worldwide UFO cover-up by Timothy Good. Timothy Good, as you know, has been a guest on the PowerCast. Yet another book worth considering from Audible.com is Lies and Deception, UFOs and the Secret Agenda, from Timothy Good once again, and also from our old friend Nick Pope. As you know, Nick Pope has also been on the PowerCast. This is another book that you're definitely going to want to check out. For this book or another free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash PowerCast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash PowerCast. As many people know, ever since President Nixon took us up the gold standard, the U.S. dollar has been devaluating. What people don't know, however, is how this directly affects your personal finances. Is there a way to prevent your portfolios from losing value? The answer to all of this is gold and silver. They've both maintained their purchasing power for 6,000 years. If you had had $100,000 in cash and $100,000 in gold and silver back in 1913 and kept them both until now, your cash would actually have the buying power of only $4,800, but your gold and silver would have the buying power of $3 million. The answer to protecting your assets is simple. Call me, John Ballman, today at 1-800-686-2237, extension 169. Get all your questions answered before your money is worth zero. Call 1-800-686-2237. 2237 extension 169 take action today while we still accept paper dollars for gold that's 1-800-686-2237 extension 169 when you hear the words water purification what comes to mind if it's berkey water purification systems this message is for you did you know that over 60 percent of municipal water contains fluoride at less than two cents per gallon 
Berkey water filters purify treated and untreated water, remove dangerous chlorine, fluoride, and contaminants from municipal water. These filters are powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water, making them perfect for rainwater collection systems. From the smallest to the largest systems, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has what you need. With your system purchase, you'll receive a shower filter, a fluoride filter, or two sport Berkey bottles absolutely free. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com would like to offer GCN listeners 5% off all ceramic filter systems and ship all orders over $50 free of charge. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Or call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 1-877-99-BERKEY today. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget... CrossbreedHolsters.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Tired of searching for great talk radio? And I think it really does make a difference. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're in the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. Leslie Kane returns to the Paracast. She's author of a new book, called UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. And it's not just her. She has loads of contributors to the book. Now, when we last talked to you, Leslie, you were starting to work on the book. And I see that, except for certain portions of the book that you wrote, you added these contributors, which makes your book very different from any of the others that have been written about UFOs over the years. How did you pick these specific people to be participants? Well, um, you know, it depends on, I mean, first of all, I had the criteria of trying to get the highest level officials I could get. Um, some of it depended on the accessibility of the person, if I knew them or not. You know, in terms of how I selected people to, to include in the book, I mean, I, I definitely wanted to get people that, you know, were, had highest, the highest level credentials possible. If they were in the military, of course, I wanted to get a general whenever I could. And that was factored in along with um, the kind of work that I knew that they had done, whether I had a relationship with them or not, so that they would be willing to, to work with me. Um, you know, how accessible they were, whether they spoke English. Well, a number of the, the writers didn't speak English. But there were a lot of factors that went into play. But I, I certainly was, um, you know, wanted to get the most credible people. And I wanted to have a combination of both people who were investigators for governments, official investigators, and people who were actual witnesses, aviation witnesses. So I wanted to also have witnesses with very exciting stories that would be capable of, of telling them the stories in, a, in an articulate and clear way. And stories and also cases that were well documented. So there are a lot of factors that went into making the selections. But most of the people that I wanted to get were able to do it. So it worked out. You didn't get too many no answers for this then. 
No, I mean, I, the only, there was one general in Russia that I was, I didn't know him. Um, and I was working with another contact, and he kept saying he wanted to participate, but he would never send anything. And he kept saying, okay, you'll have it in the two weeks, and then nothing would come. And actually, I just had to give up on him. But I think, um, no, I think you're right. That was the only one that I was sort of holding out for that didn't work out. Well, that's funny, too, because I used to deal with contributors of that nature where they promised me that they were going to do stuff for a book. And as a matter of fact, one time, and this is just a quick aside here, I literally had to write ten extra chapters for a computer book because the guy I recommended never produced anything. He always gave me excuses. But sometimes, you know, people, you know, it's writer's block. People have difficulty. Your introduction, though. Well, I didn't is... have any of that, though. They, these people, everyone I worked with the book was, was fantastic. And they worked really hard on their pieces. And that makes that. your book very different from the others, where it's just somebody telling somebody's story. Here you have their stories. Now, your introduction comes from John Podesta, who, as we know, was prominent in the Clinton administration and also very close with President Obama. Now, how did he get involved with your work? Uh, well, John Tedessa has been supporting this, uh, the, the Freedom of Information Act initiative that I launched back in 2002, I think it was 2003, with the um, support of the Sci-Fi Channel. And this was the Kecksburg Initiative, which I'm sure your, your listeners are probably familiar with that, where we, we were, it was a major Freedom of Information Act effort to obtain documents on the uh, Kecksburg case. And um, we had a team of professional people, and they were able, we were all, our collective effort, were able to bring John Podesta into that as a supporter uh, because he's a strong believer in people's right to information, and he's also interested in UFOs. So I got to know him over the years working on that, and then, you know, we were successful with the lawsuit, and he uh, was very interested in how the whole thing progressed. And so he kind of got familiar with my work over all those years, and that was uh, why I felt comfortable approaching him you know, to write this forward, which I'm extremely pleased that he agreed to do. Now, has he been able to influence the people in high places he knows to look into this situation more seriously? Um, you know, I, I don't really know. I quite honestly doubt that he's spent a lot of time trying to do that because he's so incredibly busy. I mean, he actually, uh, you know, writes policy for the Obama administration. He's a major player now. And I'm hoping that once the book comes out, we sort of have a tool that might be able to be used by him and others to do that. But, of course, I can't say what he might have done privately. But I, it, it certainly hasn't been any kind of major mission that he's been on. Um, his, his, the real interest, you know, the reason he got involved just as much about Freedom of Information Act issues as it was the UFO subject. Now, one of the things that came to light, don't know if you read the story, but some more documents come from the Ministry of Defense in the U.K., and one, in fact, this came off Fox News, which is an unusual source for UFO information. Churchill ordered UFO cover-up documents suggest. Have you seen this? Uh, yeah, I mean, I read the stories on the Internet that I'm sure you and everyone else has read I, very quickly, actually. But, yeah. So is this really a significant development? I'm hearing this on the cable news stations are now presenting this as a very, very serious story. So that kind of shows us that all the people who are writing about UFOs so seriously in the 50s, especially Major Donald Kehoe and Edward Ruppelt, you know, they had it right on. Yeah, I mean, I and again, I what I what I I wish I had paid more attention to it. But didn't um, wasn't it just a, a relative of somebody who says that his relative made this claim, but they don't really have actual documentation of it about Churchill? Is that true? 
I'm sorry, I, I should have read the thing more you carefully. You know what, we have to look at the story, and according to the documents, yeah. details of the cover-up emerged when the man wrote to the government in 1999 seeking to find out more about the incident. He described how his grandfather, who had served with the Royal Air Force RAF in the war, was present when Churchill and U.S. General Dwight Eisenhower discussed how to deal with the UFO encounter. So it comes right, from right. somebody's grandson. Yeah, and, you know, uh, so it's an interesting story, but I think without a little more documentation than that, it's not going to go very far. And quite honestly, I mean, I don't think, as, I, as I've as i written about in the book, I don't think that releasing more documents endlessly, you know, year after year after year, I think it's a great thing that all the governments release their documents, but I don't think it's going to really solve the mystery and solve the problem that we have in our hands to just get more information I'm sure that the really uh, important documents, the really sensitive, you know, national security documents, are not being released. So I don't, I don't put a lot of stock in just more documents coming out as really getting us anywhere, quite honestly. Leslie, do you see in the documents that you do succeed in retrieving through Freedom of Information Act or the ones made public overseas? Do they show a lot of stuff being redacted, blacked out? Yeah, I mean, I don't think these MOD documents are are that bad. Uh, the ones that I've looked at, but again, I have there's I haven't really looked at a lot and a lot of them. But I mean, generally they redact anything that's materials and methods that would endanger the you know that would mention the name of somebody that kind of thing. They I mean they redact um, the name of the agent or the witness or sensitive information about how their equipment works and stuff. I I you know I have I've looked at some of these MOD things, but I don't recall seeing that being a major problem, but I might be wrong on that. It's not something I've spent a lot of time doing. I've read articles about the documents, and I, I you know, I, I'm in constant communication with Nick Pope, and so I sort of get the gist of what the most important ones are when they come out. But I don't spend a lot of time calling and looking at them, you know, for hours. Once again, we want you to interact. Tell us what you think about this show and other topics related to the paranormal. Visit our forums, forum.thepowercast.com, forum.thepowercast.com. It costs you nothing to sign up and participate. We have Leslie Kane. She's author of UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials. Go on the record. Our co-host, Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Okay, neighbors, here's the problem. Face-to-face business meetings with clients and colleagues are always going to be important. But business travel is a hassle, and it's often a complete waste of money. Well, here's a solution for you. Do more. Travel less with GoToMeeting. GoToMeeting is an award-winning online meeting service brought to you by Citrix with just a click. Host sales presentations, training sessions, or product demos right from your own desk. Avoid the hassle of traveling and still exceed your sales goals. Plus, GoToMeeting is just $49 a month for unlimited online meetings. Plus, voice over IP and phone conferencing is included. My listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 45 days for this special offer. Visit GoToMeeting.com slash podcast. Once again, go to meeting free for 45 days. Visit gotomeeting.com slash podcast. How well and how fast does heart and body extract work to improve blood circulation? Listen. My name is Ellis, and I am 66 years old, and I live in Jacksonville, Florida. 
Two years ago, I was diagnosed as having clogged arteries. I had 70% blockage in one artery leading to my heart. They wanted me to go on Plavix, but I refused, knowing the negative side effects. Heart and Body Extract is a unique balance, synergy, and proportion of herbs reaching from head to toe at maximum absorption around 95% at the cellular level. Within the first month, I felt a dramatic difference. The heaviness in my legs was reduced, and within two months, I felt completely normal. Your natural organic herbal formula for heart health is Heart and Body Extract. Heart and Body Extract comes with a 100% ironclad money-back guarantee. Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract. Call 866-295-5305, 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract. Hi, this is Alex Jones. Did you know that the global elite are now storing non-hybrid seeds in secret storage vaults near the Arctic Circle? Did you know that in a real meltdown, non-hybrid seeds can become more valuable than silver or gold? It's true, seeds have outperformed even gold and silver before in this country, and it's possible that it could even happen again. So our friends at Solutions from Science have put together the perfect mix of non-hybrid seeds. They call it a survival seed bank, and it can produce an endless supply of nutrient-dense food for you and your family. And here's the best part. These seeds have not been genetically modified in any way, and you actually get enough seeds to plant a full acre crisis garden. So visit them today at survivalseedbank.com. That's survivalseedbank.com. Or give them a call at 877-327-0365. That's 877-327-0365. Remember, in a real crisis, non-hybrid seeds are the ultimate barter item. This is Alex Jones for survivalseedbank.com. Question, what would you rather drink, acidic water which burns holes in your body and causes loss of bone mass, or alkaline water which promotes high energy and vibrant health? The answer is clear. And if you're drinking acidic water, you're helping cancer cells and bacteria to grow out of control. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals. Using Plasma pH Drops is the best way to alkalize your water and help you get rid of acid and regain your health and energy. Simply put 10 drops in the water you drink to raise the pH to a healthy alkaline level. Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. Disease organisms like bacteria, viruses, or cancer cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops now by going directly to AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or by calling 269-409-1776. Again, 269-409-1776. Bringing you the best in alternative talk radio for over 10 years. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. You're in the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Leslie Kane. She's author of a book called UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. I'll just keep calling it UFOs because That's it's such fine. a long yeah. title. Fine, no problem. Our co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the PowerCast, and Chris is going to pick up on the questioning. Leslie, um, you know, one of the things that really impresses me uh, about uh, or how you approach the book is the quality of the contributors to the book and your exhaustive effort to go as high as you possibly could. Uh, could you describe uh, a little bit, in a little bit more detail how you were able to convince um, some of these military guys, uh, for instance, uh, in, in South America, 
and in uh, in England and other other countries uh, outside the U.S. How how are you able to convince them uh, to come forward and to uh, to contribute uh, such uh, insightful information that's in the book? Yeah, well, of course, it's different in every case. Um, um, but um, if you wanted to focus on the South American individuals, for instance, the two from Chile that are in the book, General Bermudez, who's actually the head of the government agency in Chile that investigates UFOs. Every person that worked with me on this book is, is a different story for each person. But, I, I mean, it, it, the people, for instance, in South America, General Bermudez, who heads up the government agency there investigating UFOs, the SEFAA, and Captain Bravo, also from uh, Chile, were uh, Captain Bravo was somebody who I knew because he attended our 2007 press conference in Washington D.C. that James Fox and I put together, and um, he was very happy to do it. And General Bermudez, I had corresponded with him over the years as in, during my time as a journalist. I've been covering the subject for 10 years, so I think you know most of the people in this book I'd had some kind of relationship with. And they respect the work that I do. They they understand that I'm approaching this, you know, as a journalist, and they like the way I approach it, and they know that I'm credible and trustworthy, I, I guess. And so um, it really, uh, you know, it wasn't that difficult. One of the ones I didn't know was General Pereira from Brazil. General Pereira from Brazil is one of the few contributors who I actually haven't met or hadn't corresponded with, actually. I had no relationship with him before this book. And he took quite a lot of work because I, I had to go through other contacts that knew him. He doesn't speak any English, so, you know, I had a number of translators that worked with me in, in the communication. So actually all the emails had to be translated back and forth. We had to make phone calls. And um, I explained to him my work, and I guess, you know, I had a, I just had enough, uh, yeah, he had enough respect for what I do that he was willing to do it. And it just it just took a great deal of communication to, to interest these people, the ones that I didn't know. But as I said, most of them I've had some kind of communications with over the years. Many of them I've actually met. So it wasn't that difficult to get them to agree to do this. Now, one thing that I'm, I've noticed in the book is is the reliance on uh, pilot testimony and going into some of the, the more interesting and, I think, um, telling encounters that uh, pilots, whether in the military or in you know, civil aviation, have had uh, with these objects. Now, what was your thinking going in on that? According to the book here, you say that pilots probably are our best you know, classification of witness because, I mean, their, their life and, and the lives of their passengers obviously you know, depend on their ability to determine what it is that's around them in their airspace. So, why don't you give us your thinking on what led you to that decision and what your conclusions uh, were talking to uh, quite a number of pilots that have had amazing uh, encounters. Okay, well, I mean, yeah, you're right that one of, the re one of the reasons to approach pilots is because they're so highly trained to recognize uh, things in the sky. And the other important point as to why they're important is because of the issue, issue of aviation safety which is a theme throughout the book. I have a, a piece by Richard Haynes in here who's an expert on that, and I know you've had him on the show before. Um, and, you know, the aviation safety factor is a really important factor. That, that air, These UFOs actually affect aircraft and can affect safety of aircraft. So for those two reasons, I thought that the pilots were important. And I have uh, cases in here, and again, they're written by the actual person, which makes them so fascinating because you're hearing the person tell what happened to them in their own words, 
and I try to get them to express their emotions and their reactions and all these kinds of things that you would never normally hear from somebody. And the stories are exciting and they're important because of um, the credibility of the, the pilots. And in two cases, the pilots describe, these are both Air Force pilots, actually attempting to shoot down UFOs. And the book explores the whole question of national security and uh, when, you know, when is it appropriate to fire and not fire and what should we do to prepare people. And But um, they do have an incredible amount of, of credibility, the pilots. And... Um, so, yeah, I don't know what else I can say. Both Air Force pilots and civil aviation pilots are represented here. Um, one of them is also Captain Bowyer from the U.K., Captain Ray Bowyer. His case only occurred a couple of years ago in 2007, which makes it really interesting as well because it's so recent. And, and the cases also have a lot of data to back them up, which are presented by the writers, as well as their own personal reactions and accounts. So it's an important part of the book. Another aspect uh, of the pilot sightings that I found fascinating was the official um, airline and, in some uh, sense, military uh, response to the events themselves. There, there doesn't seem to be a, a willingness by some agencies to pursue uh, these, the ramifications of some of these sightings and, and cases to pursue them uh, further than just kind of ignoring them uh, in some sense of the word, hoping that uh, it doesn't happen again or that they'll go away. It seems to me it's only when the press really gets involved that these agencies are forced to really officially respond, and generally it's a non-response. So what are your feelings now looking at some of the more celebrated aviation cases, what are your feelings about the actual official response to these cases by, by government and uh, the military? Well, that's a really, really good point, and, I, and it's uh, one of the reasons I even wrote this book was to make the point that in the United States, anyway, the official response has been just about nothing, as you pointed out, and, and to contrast that with other countries. In other countries, the, the official aviation agencies do get involved, and they do investigate, and information is released. But in the United States, as you just mentioned, yeah, in, in 1986 with the Alaska case, that I think a lot of people are familiar with the JAL, Japan Airline case over Alaska, the only reason the FAA investigated that case was because they were pressured by public demand, by public interest in the case, to do something. Otherwise, they probably wouldn't have. You know, that played a big role. And then when you move forward to the Chicago O'Hare case, though, even though there was public interest in that case, the FAA did nothing. The U.S. government did nothing. Um, and you're right. It's, it's essentially ignoring and just pretending that nothing's happening and sort of letting the media play with, you know, the media will play with it for a couple of days and then it goes away. And the witnesses are left uh, with nothing. They're left with no support, no explanations. They're often really nervous about, you know, if their job's being affected. They don't dare talk about it. And um, it's a very bizarre situation, and it needs to change. And one of the reasons I wrote this book was to propose um, some ideas for how we might be able to change this problem and to look into some of the reasons as to why this problem exists in the first place and to show how different it is here from other countries. Yeah, one of the things I was bringing up before we brought you on the show is going back to the 1950s, we had movements to try to get the U.S. government to bring out more information about UFOs, and one of the key examples of that, of course, was the late Major Donald Kehoe. In fact, one of the big missions of the organization, he ultimately took over NICAP, and had been started by someone else named T. Townsend Brown, was to 
cause disclosure. He felt you have congressional hearings and understand, I think, that Major Donald Keogh had what we would consider today to be rather a naive viewpoint of Congress and their supposed honesty and freedom from political considerations. You will therefore have disclosure because the military will be forced to admit what's going on if Congress says do it. Of course, we then in the 1960s had the Condon Report, and of course that didn't help. I'm going to ask you your response to that as soon as we return. We have Leslie King. She's author of a book called UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. And what that means is she isn't quoting them necessarily. They're writing their own piece. They're writing their own segments for the book. And we're going to go into that in more detail in our next section. My co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Ray Perkins a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwoods. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans the galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's one 800 728 2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours too. We take a very simple but proven three step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection actions so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible. You worry, but only because you're paying attention. What's happening in the Gulf of Mexico illustrates an audacity toward nature. A similar audacity called GMO, or genetically modified organisms, means that the quality of commercially grown food may be compromised with our health in the balance. Now that summer's here, what better time to learn about the bounty that nature provides in wild edible food? Let author Linda Runyon show you the best-kept secret in plain sight that food is everywhere you look. This summer, for the cost of a good meal or two out, you can literally starvation-proof yourself and your loved ones against any future craziness and put up tons of free food, too. Whatever experiment is being run on us, you can rest assured that Linda's 50 or so staple foods aren't involved. Our foods are their enemy. So go to ofthefield.com or call toll-free 1-888-51-EAT-FREE and take that first step. Make your oasis of food security and nutrition now. That's O-F-T-H-E-F-I-E-L-D.com or call 1-888-513-2837. Start now and make 2010 your year of independence. 
There are many types of storable foods, but how about a superfood that contains every nutrient that the human body needs for survival? 50% protein, 300 milligrams of potassium per ounce, and calcium and magnesium for your heart and bones, with many more nutrients found in this incredible food source that the government does not want you to have. This product is available in powder, seeds, and oil, and is shipped free to your door in the U.S. This product is illegal to grow in the U.S., but is legal to import. Don't waste time thinking about storing food. Plan ahead and prepare for yourself and your family now, and be in control of your destiny. You can save and invest your money, but in the end, food will be your greatest asset. Remember what the Word of God says in Ezekiel 7.19. Call 908-691-2608 and see what the powder, seeds, and oil can do for you. Remember, food will be your greatest asset. Call 908-691-2608. This product does not contain THC. Call 908-691-2608 today. Tired of searching for great talk radio? Search no more. It's good stuff. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Bud Hopkins, and you're listening to the Paracast, and I completely enthusiastically endorse this program. It's an absolutely great program with opportunities to stretch out and talk. We have Leslie Kane joining us this week on the Paracast. She's author of a book, which I'll call briefly UFOs with a very long subtitle. A lot of very important people going on the record about this. So we go back to the effort from a person like Major Donald Kehoe to get this information revealed. Why do you think it didn't succeed? Was it because the Condon Report was the best we can do in the 50s and 60s? Yeah, I mean, of course, he certainly did succeed in some ways. I mean, a lot of information was presented by NICAP, and a lot of case research that was excellent was presented. But you're talking about why we didn't get some major change in terms of the government approach, right? And basically, you know, but as you pointed out, when the Condon uh, report came along and the Air Force closed down its investigation and the Condon Committee said, you know, there was no need to study UFOs, there was no scientific merit in studying them, um, it did really put a kibosh on any sort of, you know, possibility of the government taking a different position. It was a really drastic uh, development for the for the government and for scientists who might have possibly been interested. I mean, it set everybody back, and it, it, there was certainly a lot going on before that happened. And as you mentioned, congressional hearings, you know, all kinds of serious media coverage, lots of very high level people involved with the issue, but. Um, then the door was shut, and it's been pretty much shut for decades, and I want that door to be reopened, and that's what I'm hoping to accomplish here. What have you done so far, and our listeners may not know all your background about this, but what got you interested in trying to get some kind of revelation or disclosure going? What got you into this field? Well, um, as I was actually, um, I'm a journalist by profession, and I was working at a public radio station back in 1999 in California as a, a co-host and co-producer of a daily show, and I'd done a lot of freelance publishing on many different topics as an investigative reporter, and I received a copy from a colleague in France of the Cometa Report, which was this high-level study that was done in France over a three-year period by um, a retired generals and admirals and heads of science, head of the science agency there, and lots of very, very uh, prestigious people, primarily in the military, but also scientists. It was a group study, and 
that study uh, was really what set me on this course uh, I, as a journalist. And the bottom line in that, about that study was that the writers stated that they felt, after studying the best official cases on record and really looking into this, only official cases, by the way, um, they came to the conclusion that the extraterrestrial hypothesis, as they called it, was the best explanation for these phenomena. It hadn't been proven, but they couldn't see. They, they presented that as the best explanation. And as a journalist, I really recognized at the time, my God, this is a major news story that the people of this stature and caliber are making a statement like that. And that sort of, you know, I wrote my first story about that report, and I haven't been able to stop ever since. Um, that's how you I got, got stuck in like the rest so, of us. Yeah, although I, I really think, um, you know, I never, I never really identified myself as being part of the UFO community, per se. It was really very much as a journalist. But, yeah, once you get hooked, it's very hard to back away from it. I mean, you really see that there's something to this. And, you know, you want to get to the bottom of it, and you're, you're, you're mystified by the way it's treated in, by the media and by the culture and the way it's ridiculed and all the things that go along with it. It's, it's a hard thing to put down. I know for so many people that's the case. So well, you, um, you brought up the extraterrestrial hypothesis, and I want to cut in here. Uh, pardon me for a second. Um, one of the things that comes through very, very loud and clear in the book is that the ETH, uh, or the extraterrestrial hypothesis, is almost a foregone conclusion in the minds of many of the people contributing to the book. Nowhere do I see any sort of uh, alternate explanation put forward um, as a potential um, avenue of research and uh, investigation. Uh, is this uh, consistent uh, throughout your work now, that, uh, that everyone thinks that we're, de we're dealing with something that is truly an off-planet uh, uh, extraterrestrial presence and, and has anybody in your research uh, come up with any sort of alternative theories I for instance I see Jacques Vallée's name is only mentioned once in the book in relation to the uh, the Grenada president getting the UN to do the little get-together uh, back in the I think it was the 80s um, what uh, what can you uh, add to that uh, in terms of, of alternative theories that may be out there well, that's, a, that's an interesting point. And again, um, you know, the, the, I was really focused on including people that were government officials. That's why, you know, somebody like Jack Fillet, who's brilliant and fascinating and everything, didn't really, you know, it wasn't really a book of scientists. Maybe that'll be the next book. But, um, and he, I think of him as more as a, of a scientist, really, and a, a, a thinker about this. But um, you're right. I mean, I think that when these, these, the bottom line is that most of the people who wrote for this book really are agnostic. They really feel that they don't know what this phenomenon is. You know, they've, they've all experienced it at various levels of closeness, whether they're investigators or witnesses. And like all of us, they, when you go through the process of elimination, you're not left with a lot of alternative explanation. So I think, um, you know, some of them may have thought a lot more than others about what they think it might be. I think a lot of them are just waiting for it to be figured out what they are. And when they're pressed on the question, they will say, well, the extraterrestrial hypothesis is certainly a valid hypothesis. You know, that could be, that could be it, but we don't really know yet. So to the extent that they may have explored other options within their own minds, you know, privately, I really, I really don't know, to say the truth. Yeah, yeah, can you say, Leslie, then that the purpose of the book is not so much to find out 
what the actual source is, but to suggest a very popular possibility, but mostly to explain that there's a real phenomenon going on here. Exactly right, Gene. I mean, the purpose of the book is to present the, the facts and the data that we have through the most credible sources to make the point that there is a very real phenomenon, like you just said. It's physical. It has certain characteristics that repeat themselves in various cases. You know, it can be picked up on radar. We've got photographs. It, it is absolutely real. And people at high levels around the world acknowledge that. And so what the purpose of the book is, is to make that point, and then number two, to propose a way that we might actually find out what they are. But the book is not claiming that we know what they are. You know, the theme is that, and this is what, you know, what I learned from talking to all these high-level people, we don't know what they are, but we really need to find out for a lot of reasons. So the book is a call to action. It's a call for... Uh, the scientific community to become unified around the world and make a conscious decision and become proactive on, on finding out what the UFOs are. And we need to have the U.S. government involved in that process, and so we deal with that in the book. But um, that's really the purpose. It's not about, you know, whether they're extraterrestrial or whether they might be this or that, or let's think about it because it's a fascinating topic. It's really about the hardcore facts and what we need to do to find out more. Okay, a call to investigate, not a call to conclude. Right, because we don't yet know enough to conclude. We don't have the definitive proof that we need to convince the scientists and the governments of the world that we know what these things are without a doubt. They are, they are not about to accept that we know what these things are, even for those of us who may have, have looked at this for a long time and have come to our own conclusions, and we might, we might think certain things are obvious. But if you're trying to reach the, the status quo, they need to... They need to. They they do not accept that. First of all, it's hard for them to even accept these things exist, which this book is going to make it's going to make them impossible for them to say they don't exist. But they are certainly not going to be ready to have anybody tell them what these things are. I mean, they they will not accept that at this stage of the game. And so it, it's really a, not something that's a useful thing to do is to go around and tell officials that they're extraterrestrials visiting us. They're not ready to accept that. We have to take it one step at a time, and we're, we're making this the step here that I believe is going to open the door, get us to the point where we can make the kind of discovery that will then show everybody what we've got here. So if what we've got here isn't E.T. or something even weirder, assuming E.T. is weird, and I guess it's not in this day and age, why should it be, you would have no problem with that. Right. I mean, you know, it seems like we all think, oh, yeah, the E.T. hypothesis is the most reasonable one. That's what the Cometa group said. They think it's the most. They looked at other possibilities in their report, and maybe it will be something entirely different, or maybe it's a lot of different things, you know. I just think we have to keep an open mind, and we have to invest more resources and, and brilliant, brilliant minds of scientists around the world to find out. But, yeah, it could. who knows what it's going to turn out to be. I mean, we all think it's probably extraterrestrial. It's hard to imagine that it, what it might be, but you're right. Maybe it's not. <laughs> the reason I mention that, of course, is because near the end of his life, and I had an interview with Dr. J. Allen Hynek maybe three, four years before he died, it looked like he was moving into what some of us call like a 4-D or a multi-dimensional kind of aspect, but we won't get into that here. We have Leslie Kane, author of a new book about UFOs, which is co-authored by a number of very prominent people, generals, pilots, government officials. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. You're in The Paracast.
Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy at 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have Leslie Kane, author of a new UFO book featuring a number of experts contributing to the piece. Chris O'Brien is our co-host. I'm Gene Steinberger in the Paracast. Chris, why don't you pick up on the questioning? Um, one of the things that I've, I've noticed in here is, <laughs> and, and I, I find this um, actually uh, quite intriguing, is the very uh, excellent eyewitness accounts and how each of these uh, cases that you have pulled out and concentrated on are some of the best cases I think that we have on record. What case uh, did you find the most intriguing in terms of the uh, demonstrated abilities of the craft to maneuver uh, some of the high strange elements that I think were found in some of these cases? Which one struck you the most as being the, the most incredible? I'd say in terms of that, probably the cases of um, Parvis Jafari and Oscar Santa Maria, the two pilots who actually attempted to shoot down the UFOs, because they have these extended kind of interactive dogfights with the objects, you know, for a long, a long period of time. So they were kind of engaged. It was almost like, almost at a level of communication in a certain way. I mean, that's, that's too much, but they were engaged in, in, a, in a, you know, interacting with the objects for quite a while. And so we got to see a lot of the behaviors of the objects in those two cases. And also what's really fascinating is the fact that in both cases, the UFO seemed to know when the pilot was about to shoot, and they were able to maneuver in two different, differently in the two cases, but they were able to, you know, save themselves, if you want to put it that way, from being harmed or from being shot at, assuming that they, it definitely showed some kind of intelligence, let's put it that way, because it happened consecutively two or three, four times in each case that, um, you know, the UFO disabled the equipment in one case or moved just at the last moment very rapidly in another case. Um, and that's so fascinating to me that, that, that these, these maneuvers happen exactly at the instant that the pilot was about to fire, as if there was some knowledge on the part of the object about what... The, did the pilots think that this was some sort of technological ability, or did they get a sense that there was something else going on? Did this only happen, in other words, when they were actually locked on with targeting systems, or was there some sort of anticipation on the part of the phenomenon 
based on possibly the the pilot's thinking that he was going to do something, and then the object um, seemed to respond. Was it a mechanical, uh, technological uh, response, do you think, or, or did they think, or was it something else? Yeah, I mean, I think it's really hard to say. In both cases, they were actually engaged with their gear, you know, and in Jafari's case, um, he was about to, he had a heat-seeking missile that he had programmed, and he was just about to press the button. And then he lost all control of his equipment. Um, and in the Peruvian case with Oscar Santa Maria, he um, was about to fire these these large shells at the object. And it, it, he, every, in every case, I think the object was, was hovering. It was still, and he was just aimed at it. And at the very last minute, the thing just shot up. So I think it's hard to know whether the phenomenon was responding to some kind of technological, you know, a signal that it was getting from the pilot or whether how it how it actually clued into what was going on. I don't think they know, really. Well, of course, in Star Trek, Leslie, in Star Trek, they know when the weapons are going to be fired. So maybe E.T. knows, too. Well, who am I to say? What am I to say about that? I mean, in in. Oscar Santa Maria's case, he actually did fire successfully on the object earlier on during this interaction that he had. Right, and there was no effect. In fact, he he believes that he is the only man in the world, he's the only man that that we know of, there may be others, that have actually actually shot and hit a UFO. Um, And he describes that in his chapter in the book. It's just an amazing thing to read. And the UFO was not affected. But he could see the shells. They were actually kind of absorbed by the object, absorbed by the the energy or the light that was around it, and it seemed to have actually no effect. And these are these are huge, I mean, 35 millimeter shells that would normally destroy anything that it hit. So that was uh, that's a pretty unusual story. Yeah, that's pretty it rare. Actually hit the thing. Yeah, and then they start having these these chasing chasing each other around, and he tries to shoot it many other times, and he's not successful. There's a book that was out there. There was a book out. In fact, we had the author of it here on the PowerCast called Shoot Him Down, which covered instances, I guess, back to the 1950s where the U.S. military was firing at UFOs when they were seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely want to read that book. I've got some documentation from NORAD in the book about attempts to chase them and shoot at them. But, um, you know, these two cases in particular are so important because we have so much detail about them and we've got the pilots actually telling their own stories from their perspective. It really reads like science fiction when you read it, even though it isn't. You kind of think of the movie Independence Day, where they kept trying to fire on E.T., and they just bounced off because of their shields, which is almost back to Star Trek. Right. Yeah. I I don't know what to say on that. (laughs) Well, as long as the UFOs don't fire back on us, you know, that's not a good way to welcome E.T. to our planet. Oh, and that's an important point, too. I mean, I, and we make and a number of the officials in this book make the point that, um, and we point out the fact that that has never happened to our knowledge. I mean, even though we have chased them and fired at them and acted aggressively and towards uh, the objects, they have not retaliated. And there's also a general consensus among the generals that I spoke to who have been investigating this stuff that UFOs, that there's no hostility there, that they're not hostile and they have never demonstrated any hostility, um, even though we have. But that could be dangerous. And that's one of the national security questions that people have. 
if there's a national security danger, it has to do with our own pilots and our own Air Force, you know, taking aggressive action when it's not appropriate to do so. And that could get us in trouble. Have you seen the evidence in the research you've done and the material that these people have presented to you that there is some official approach of what to do with regard to UFOs near military craft? Just leave them alone or what? Well, one of the, I think one of the problems is that there is no policy, um, at least in, in the United States. There's nothing that trains or prepares the pilots. It's as if they don't exist. And that's another point that Richard Haynes makes in his chapter in the book, too, is that not, not only for Air Force pilots, but for commercial pilots. There is nothing that prepares them for the possibility of encountering one of these things. And they are encountered, you know, as, as frequently as wind shear or bird strikes are, and they're prepared for those things. So it's, it's a problem. It's, 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 they're not supposed to see them. They're not supposed to exist, and therefore they're not going to be taught what to do. And, and that, that's dangerous. That is a dangerous situation. Now, did and, your studies at all or the information you got from all these people indicate any possible evidence that our American military or civilian government have actually tried to contact whatever is behind the UFOs? I, I never ran across anything suggesting that. doesn't mean it's not there, but I, didn't run, I haven't run across anything about our government trying to contact them. I know there was something in Canada, right, with uh, Wilbert Smith years ago. As I recall, uh, you know Wilbert Smith, who worked for the Canadian government in the, maybe in the 50s or 60s? Right. He was yeah, a he was friend of Major contact. Donald Kehoe. He was mentioned in Major Donald Kehoe a lot as being very much a hero, someone trying to right. get the information to the public. But the other Right. It, I think he was trying to do some contact thing, but I, I really haven't heard of anything involving the, the U.S. government doing that. According to Ray Stanford, they were attempting to in 77 down in White Sands. He got some well, incredible. Well, you know, it died. I don't. I mean, I certainly there's lots of stuff I don't know. So that may be something I just don't know about. <laughs> it wouldn't necessarily be something, Leslie, that any of us would be privy to. That information certainly would be way, way above our rank and above our pay grade. And this is something we'll have to get into That's as true. we persist, sure, as we continue with this discussion. The book on the table, which is just hitting the streets about the time most of you will be hearing this episode, is UFOs, generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record. The author is Leslie Kane. The introduction, the foreword written by John Podesta. I'm Gene Steinberg. Co-host is Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. You are about to enter another dimension, a dimension not only of sight and sound, but of mind, a journey into a sinister land of secret rites, passwords, initiations, and handshakes, where the truth remains hidden and history is controlled by an elite group of mysterious men. Imagine, if you will, that I'm holding a book in my hands that explains this secret history and that the name of this book is Conspiracies and Secret Societies, The Complete Dossier. Here is described centuries of dark dealing, lies, murder, mayhem, and cover-ups in the pursuit of unimaginable money and power. My name is Brad Steiger, and the stories you are about to read may have actually happened at the signpost up ahead. Your next stop 
conspiracies and secret societies, the complete dossier. As many people know, ever since President Nixon took us up the gold standard, the U.S. dollar has been devaluating. What people don't know, however, is how this directly affects your personal finances. Is there a way to prevent your portfolios from losing value? The answer to all of this is gold and silver. They have both maintained their purchasing power for 6,000 years. If you had had $100,000 in cash and $100,000 in gold and silver back in 1913 and kept them both until now, your cash would actually have the buying power of only $4,800, but your gold and silver would have the buying power of $3 million. The answer to protecting your assets is simple. Call me, John Ballman, today at 1-800-686-2237, extension 169. Get all your questions answered before your money is worth zero. Call 1-800-686-2237. 237 extension 169 take action today while we still accept paper dollars for gold that's 1-800-686-2237 extension 169 where have all the military surplus stores gone? Don't worry, you don't need one. Because everything you need at Military Surplus is at MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E Military.com, one of the last surviving true military surplus stores in the country. Go online now to MainMilitary.com and discover a source for hard-to-find surplus items at true surplus prices. Surplus gun cleaning kits as low as $2.99. Complete chemical suits as low as $11.99. See our huge selection of gas masks, filters, and accessories. Finish it. M10 gas masks are three for thirty dollars, and Swiss filters are three for twelve dollars. Searching for strike anywhere matches? MainMilitary.com has them. Plus a whole new product line of survival and first aid kits, and lots more. Get free shipping on orders over fifty dollars only at MainMilitary.com. That's M-A-I-N-E Military.com, or call eight seven seven six zero eight zero one seven nine eight seven seven six zero eight zero one seven nine. MainMilitary.com, the main name in military supply. When you hear the words water purification, what comes to mind? If it's Berkey Water Purification Systems, this message is for you. Did you know that over 60% of municipal water contains fluoride? Add less than 2 cents per gallon. Berkey Water Filters purify treated and untreated water. Remove dangerous chlorine, fluoride, and contaminants from municipal water. These filters are powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water making them perfect for rainwater collection systems. From the smallest to the largest systems, BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com has what you need. With your system purchase, you'll receive a shower filter, a fluoride filter, or two sport Berkey bottles absolutely free. BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com would like to offer GCN listeners 5% off all ceramic filter systems and ship all orders over $50 free of charge. Visit BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com. Or call 1-877-99-BERKEY. That's 1-877-99-BERKEY today. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. You guys are awesome. I love this station. I really do. GCN. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com. Leslie Kane, author of a new book on UFOs from Harmony Books, and it's on the stands right now. So you, know, you can order it from 
our Paracast website through Amazon, and we make a couple of cents on each book transaction. That's how it goes. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. You're in the Paracast, and I was asking Leslie about evidence, if there is any, of possible government interactions with ET. And, of course, then we go back to some of these weird disclosure-type books, such as The Day After Roswell, and I might as well ask you about, do you think there's any evidence that we have taken ET technology and sent it off to private industry so we can't find it from freedom of information requests? Well, I mean, there hasn't been any evidence that I can rely on or I can use as a journalist. I mean, there's a lot of speculation about it, but and there's people that say so-and-so, some unnamed source told me this or that. Um, but, I, you know, I... As a journalist, that kind of information is not useful. It can't be verified. It can't be corroborated. It may or may not be true, but I can only go with information that uh, can be verified, and that's not something that I've ever seen uh, solid backing for. So it kind of leaves it open for a lot of people like to, to speculate and talk about it, but I don't think it's solidly uh, backed up at all. Do you get into such controversy? It is true. Sure. I mean, I'm not saying it might not be true. I'm. I just don't know, and you, I don't have the kind of information that allows me to determine it one way or the other. Did you ever find yourself checking more into the Roswell affair as part of this book's not research? Not really, Gene. I mean, you know, and I hope people aren't going to be unhappy that there's not more in the book on the Roswell affair. I think um, one reason was it, the case is, you know, it was so long ago that it happened. Number two, there's already been so much research done and so much written about it. Um, and number three, my book was really focused on official people, you know, government officials, pilots and generals and people like that, which we don't have in connection with the Roswell case. I mean, I, I, as far as I know, we don't have high-level government officials that have they're alive now and it just sort of has this funny role in the culture the whole Roswell case of being sort of you know too much of a sort of a cultural phenomenon and I just didn't really think that it would be helpful for this kind of a book to deal with that case I applaud your decision (laughs) yeah and there's lots of other cases you know that I couldn't but it it, it just wasn't it, it wouldn't it really wouldn't have made sense or worked for this book so I didn't. I, I mentioned it a little bit in conjunction with uh, Congressman Schiff's effort to get information about the Roswell case, and I do talk about that in the book, um, and the fact that, you know, the GAO said that the documents have been destroyed. It's just sort of it's sort of presented in co- a bigger context of the bigger issues around government secrecy. Okay, so, well, you know what, let's, let's mention that because this is something that I realize you want people to read the book, but this is something that we really should get into. Documents being destroyed. You said the Roswell documents were destroyed. Anything else? What other documents ended up being destroyed? Destroyed. Um, I, you know, good question. I'd have to think about that. Um, well, of course, we never found the estimate of the situation. The very important uh, Project Sign document that was sent up the chain of command stating that a certain number of staffers believed that this was an interplanetary phenomenon was sent up to government Vander, uh, General Vanderbilt, who then returned it to the project sign and said, we don't have enough proof of this. And, you know, this was way back in, I don't know, 1950 or something. That document has never surfaced. I don't know if that means it was destroyed, but I think maybe Ruppelt said in his book it was destroyed or something. So I don't know about a lot of specific. I mean, if they're destroyed, it means we don't have them. So how do we know they're destroyed? But 
Um, we do know that that's about the GAO coming out with an investigation about the Roswell documents. I'm, I'm sure there are others that are missing or destroyed. You know, Roswell, case closed. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah, uh, the final answer. I've got uh, an interesting question for you, Leslie. There's uh, some very intriguing uh, information about the overflight of these objects in, uh, in the United States and elsewhere over sensitive military sites. Um, one would think that this would have uh, quite uh, positive, I would think, uh, national security implications uh, if these objects are able to fly with impunity over, let's say, um, nuclear missile sites, um, as we have in the, in the 70s in Montana. Um, also, you mentioned the Rendlesham case from England. Um, what did you find out in your research about how the official response was uh, by government officials to these overflights, and in some cases the actual manipulation of uh, of some of the technology, the Earth technology, whether it be missiles or, or other things? What? How did you uh, did you find any trending in terms of how the government would, would respond to multiple multiple witness cases of this sort? Well, I mean, my my sense of these cases is that uh, the ones that I am familiar with, anyway, is that um, they, you know, the ones that happened. I I, I see we're talking about post project, maybe not before Project Blue Book closed and after, but is that they were they were handled very much within the context of the military base. That people were debriefed and and told to keep quiet about it, basically, and they weren't uh, reported. I mean, as some of them were covered in the media to some extent, but my sense of it, and again, I'm not an expert on this particular type of case, but my sense is that they uh, tried to keep it quiet as best they could. And there could have been a lot of reasons for that, uh, maybe some of them legitimate reasons. But um, I know I've talked to Robert Salas quite a bit, who I've interviewed in the, the book, and, um, you know, he was debriefed but told not to talk about it, and I think that was fairly common. Same with Rendlesham. They were debriefed and told not to talk about it. So that seems to be the, the trend. And the interesting thing about those nuclear cases, also in terms of my book, is that Jean-Jacques Velasco, who headed up the French agency Japon for 20 years, has written at the end of his chapter about his own work, has written about his strong belief in the connection between UFO sightings or UFO overflights and the nuclear issue. And it's the first time he's really spoken out about that as much as he did here. So that's a, it is a really interesting aspect of this whole phenomenon and the whole question of why they might be here if indeed they're coming from somewhere else, which, which again, we don't really know. But So possibly we're, uh, we're dealing with a reaction, but it's not being made public or it's not, uh, let's say, within the purview of FOIA. I would think that the government would have uh, some real concerns about some of the cases um, that have, you know, finally come out over the years, um, especially a case like Rendlesham or uh, the military involvement with the missile silo sightings uh, in Montana and Michigan. To me, it would seem that that would be something that would be of, of quite a concern, and I'm I'm surprised that uh, we really don't have any documentation about official government responses to these events. That's true. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And there's no question they would have had to have been concerned at the time, but I think it's also clear that they didn't. They would not want this information to become public when it involves something as sensitive as a nuclear base being actually affected by these, let's say, the missiles shutting down or something like that. I mean, this is they're not going to file reports on that that are going to be available to the public, I don't think. 
and at the time they certainly wanted to keep it quiet. We'll get into more of that but in a that's moment. Not to say they weren't interested in it, yeah. We have Leslie Kane, author of a new UFO book. Um, Gene Steinberg, co-host is Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. As you know, the Paracast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks. With more than 75,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers, for listeners of the Paracast, Audible.com is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One book to consider, for example, is Above Top Secret, the worldwide UFO cover-up by Timothy Good. Timothy Good, as you know, has been a guest on the Paracast. Yet another book worth considering from Audible.com is Lies and Deception, UFOs and the Secret Agenda, from Timothy Good once again, and also from our old friend Nick Pope. As you know, Nick Pope has also been on the Paracast. This is another book that you're definitely going to want to check out. For this book or another free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. That's audiblepodcast.com slash Paracast. Thousands of Americans are facing evacuation. If you or any of your loved ones might need to evacuate, you must do it yourselves. Please don't procrastinate until they do it for you. Remember the terrible conditions of those that didn't get out for Katrina. Go right now to eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex or call 800-409-5633 for information on the new evacuation pack. It contains two weeks of delicious, easy-to-fix food along with the equipment to prepare it. It's packed in a rugged, heavy-duty tote for transport. Evacuations are looming with the storms and the Gulf oil catastrophe. No matter where you live, wildfires, earthquakes, floods, and storms must be escaped. Don't be like a deer frozen in the headlights of oncoming disaster. At least prepare yourself with this two-week evacuation pack from eFoodsDirect.com. Call 800-409-5633 on the web, eFoodsDirect.com slash Alex. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget... CrossbreedHolsters.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Do you owe the IRS money you can't pay? Then listen carefully, because you already know that the problem won't go away by itself. You can get help today from the leading tax expert in the country, Dan Pilla. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. The IRS isn't going to just forget about you. Right now, the IRS is hiring thousands of tax collectors to go after delinquent accounts just like yours. That's why you need to take action today, and I can help. I take a simple but proven approach to solving your tax debt problem. First, I stabilize collections so you don't have to worry about wage and bank levies. Next, I build a detailed plan to get your debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even eliminated. 
Finally, I work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. So call now for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. Dan Pilla will solve your tax problem guaranteed. He's helped thousands of people, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. Tired of searching for great talk radio? Search no more. I'm told that it has everything. We are the GCN Radio Network. Leslie Kane joins us talking about her new book. Before we go on, you have a special site set up for this book. Can you tell our listeners where to find it? Yes. Um, the, the site is ufosontherecord.com. It's sort of an abbreviated version of the title of the book, ufosontherecord.com, and it's got lots of background information. And it also has a blog where I'm going to be communicating with people and posting stuff as the book comes out and things that happen with the media and so on, links to shows like this one. So I hope people will check it out. There's also, if they want to buy the book, they can do it on that site as well. But if, if you guys can get something from them buying it there, I encourage them to buy it there. I Here's don't want to tell people how embarrassingly low the commissions they give you from Amazon Books are. I mean, it's like a pennies per book. Really? It, it's really insane, but, you know, we'll take anything we can get, so we're happy to have it. Okay, so it's ufosontherecord.com. Correct, yeah. And we will The list main thing there is the blog. I just want people, you know, it's an interactive blog, and I think it'd be fun to have people check it out. Yeah, I'll tell you what we'll do is when you click the name Leslie Kane on the Paracast.com website, you will magically go to that place. Isn't that amazing? Our co-host is Chris O'Brien. You were talking, of course, about UFOs and nukes, and, of course, researcher Robert Hastings did a book about that, where UFOs are seen over nuclear installations, and there have been stories about maybe they're trying to do some things there. Now, have you seen much evidence in your studies of UFOs actually not just showing up, but trying to interfere or impact something? Um. Well, I mean, there are the cases we've been just talking about with the nuclear bases. I'm trying to think of other cases where they've uh, interfered. Well, of course, the two pilots we were talking about in which they shut down their equipment. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head of anything else. Well, of course, um, we always had those sightings that we always heard about, and especially it's mentioned and kind of fantasized or dramatized in Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where if UFOs get near a car, and the car's electrical system goes kaput temporarily. Right, right. And, of course, I'm, I've been more focused on airplanes, but it's the same thing, where, air, you know, airplanes are pulled off course, say, or the, the, the uh, equipment inside the cockpit goes completely nuts. You know, it starts spinning around the compasses, and, or they lose, uh, they lose their radio, their ability to communicate with the ground. There's lots of cases of that kind of thing happening where aircraft are, are affected by proximity to a UFO. Yeah, the Tehran case from 76. The, Which the, one? The Tehran case from 1976 where the pilot was actually yeah, well, locked on to the to the object and, right. and his systems failed. That's the one we were talking about earlier, too. Yeah, so there are lots of cases where the uh, – but there are also cases where the um, – just being near a UFO affects an aircraft. And that's where the aviation safety issue comes in which is of great concern to Dr. Richard Haynes and his group NARCAP, who have been working on that for a long time. And I think it's a very important component of this issue. 
it's also a good avenue for bringing attention to it because a lot of people respond to the aviation safety aspect of it and they feel less uh, threatened by associating themselves with UFOs when there's a reason for it, such as aviation safety. So we have found over the years that government officials are, are quite responsive to that aspect to it. Um, I was going to ask you, uh, being a, um, a frontline journalist, uh, I, I couldn't help but notice that Miles O'Brien, who I believe is the aviation correspondent for uh, CNN, um, had a very interesting uh, uh, quote there that you used uh, in the publicity uh, for the book. What is the feeling uh, of your top flight uh, frontline journalists about the UFO question? We're seeing, I think, in my opinion, a gradual fading away from the little green men and uh, alien jokes at the end of local broadcasts. I, I, I do seem uh, to feel that there is uh, a tendency to trend towards taking the subject more seriously. What are you think, thinking on this? What's, what have you felt uh, is the journalistic trend that's going on here? Yeah, I mean, I think I would agree with you, Chris. If I look back to when I actually started covering this topic, which was about 10 years ago, I think there is more coverage now and there's better coverage now. So I still think, of course, there's plenty of articles that come out with the little green men thing. They just cannot stay away from that uh, that little green men. And, you know, they have to make some kind of joke in it. But I, I agree with you. I think overall it's better. And there's so much coverage. And every time, as you mentioned earlier, there's there's the documents that come out of the MOD or there's the sighting in China or, you know, uh, there was a Remember, there was that sighting in Cleveland, Ohio, that eventually turned out to be an airplane. coming. But, you know, the media gets very uh, worked up about these cases. And I think overall they're doing a better job than they used to in terms of the way they cover it. Well, I don't see when they bring up a sighting as much laughter as you used to get. It's not the summer wink and nod. Oh, it's the silly season. We have nothing to report on, so we'll talk about UFOs. Here's a sighting. Ha, ha, ho, ho. You're right. No, I think you're right, and I, I'm hoping that this book will put it up even another notch in the, in the media in terms of how they respond to it. So I will see. I think we're, we're moving in the right direction. Now, in putting this book together, all the research you've done, did you find any areas of possible resistance in getting information out? People saying, you know what, I can't talk about this because my government contacts will be gone, they're interfering with me, something like that? You mean people that actually contributed to the book or? People others? that you tried to get to contribute. Yeah, I mean, over the years, there have been certainly people I've spoken to who would not go on the record for various reasons, who would not, you know, for reasons like you're just suggesting that they could get in trouble or they weren't, they have oaths or they aren't supposed to talk about it, that kind of thing. And there's a lot of witnesses who won't go on the record because they're afraid of ridicule. So I have encountered that over the years, and and as I say in the book, I mean, there, there are certain types of information I have received that I just have to kind of call it deep background. It's fascinating and it's meaningful to me, but unless something can be really checked out and the person is willing to have their name attached to it and so on, it really can only go so far in terms of being useful information that can be can be put forward. So... It's more, those kinds of things are, are more background information for me, where certain people have restrictions. On the other hand, though, there's a lot of witnesses. For instance, the O'Hare case. I mean, there is literally not one witness that was willing to put their name out on that case. 
which I think is really a strong statement as to the problem that we have right now. Yeah, I mean, that that's was pretty only amazing. 2006. Isn't that amazing? And yeah, it, was it really so well is. Documented, well documented. It was in the media. You know, and there's a lot. And then the NARCAP people did this great study of it, and not one name has come out. And they were all because they were afraid about their job security. Wow. So that's a statement as to where we're at and, and why we, we so much need to change the situation. Did you at all cover Stevensville, Texas? You know, I didn't because, again, um, it, was, it happened while I was already writing the book, and I just didn't have the time and energy to, to look into it. But I also was so focused on having government officials be the people that I'm dealing with, these high-level people that are in the book, that there was nobody in that case that had that was in that situation that could talk about it. I just It was just one of the, the ones that I, I really didn't have the, the time and energy to, to take on. Now, in putting this book together, talking to the various contributors, any of the information they present in the book come as a total surprise out of left field to you? That's a very interesting question. Um, well, very interesting question. I mean, I don't think in terms of the content of what they said, I think sometimes the emotion that they expressed was um, something I'd never heard before, you know. But um, in terms of the actual facts of the cases, I mean, I certainly learned a tremendously, a much more detail about these cases than I might have been familiar with before. But So nothing but really bowled you over? Well, I mean, a lot of the cases bowled me over, yes. <laughs> but... They they did. I mean, a lot of the cases bowled me over. Just reading about, um, you know, this one case that I don't think a lot of people know about is the one of Captain uh, Guerra from Portugal. You know what? Let's talk about that Portuguese case coming up yeah, in our next segment because it would be nice. I think okay. people would like to hear about it and maybe know some of the more interesting details about it. Leslie Kane, author of a new book about UFOs, available from Amazon Books. And if you go to ufosontherecord.com, you can check out her new website or click on the link from the Paracast. I'm Gene Steinberg. Chris O'Brien's the co-host, and you're in the Paracast. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwells. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockwells lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockwells is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack. Attack of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. 
Question, what would you rather drink? Acidic water, which burns holes in your body and causes loss of bone mass? Or alkaline water, which promotes high energy and vibrant health? The answer is clear. And if you're drinking acidic water, you're helping cancer cells and bacteria to grow out of control. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops combine a unique formula of the most alkaline minerals. Using Plasma pH Drops is the best way to alkalize your water and help you get rid of acid and regain your health and energy. Simply put 10 drops in the water you drink to raise the pH to a healthy alkaline level. Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. Disease organisms like bacteria, viruses, or cancer cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops now by going directly to AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or by calling 269-409-1776. Again, 269-409-1776. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at CrossbreedHolsters.com. Don't forget... CrossbreedHolsters.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. All types of batteries for all types of gadgets. We'll say it again. All types of batteries for all types of gadgets. Electronics, toys, flashlights, computers, accessories, and more are at BatteryStation.com. Whatever type battery you need, alkaline, lithium, gel cell, NICAT, metal hydride, sealed lead acid, and more are at BatteryStation.com. Our homepage gives you quick access to ham, marine, police, fire, and aviation batteries. Plus, choose from our great selection of LED flashlights with no bulb to ever burn out and much longer battery life. Find many top brands, including Streamlight, Pelican, Surefire, Novatac, Gerber, and more at BatteryStation.com. You'll also find the most popular brands of ammunition and watertight cases for storing guns, food, electronics, survival gear, and more at BatteryStation.com. Call 417-257-7799. That's 417-257-7799. You will be surprised when you visit BatteryStation.com. On air, online, and on demand. They say we offer simple answers to complex problems. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're in the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. Leslie Kane joining us, author of a book called UFOs. Generals, pilots, and government officials go on the record. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Before we broke, Leslie, you were about to talk about a sighting in Portugal that sounded really fascinating to you. Tell us more. Actually, yeah, I would have to say this one did bowl me over. When you know that I think about it, um, because this this was a, a an Air Force pilot, and he was um, in, a, in a flying solo. He was a flight instructor. This was in 1982. And there was a second plane involved that had two pilots in it. 
But this guy, he had this very close encounter with this elliptical-shaped object that was like flying elliptical circles around his plane as he just sort of hovered, and he didn't hover, but, you know, he was staying in one place pretty much just cruising in, in, a, in small circles, and this object was like circling him. And what was really amazing to me was this guy was not, didn't seem frightened by this. He um, was extremely curious about it. And he, he really wanted to find out more about the object, so he decided at one point that he was going to do an intercept with this object, which meant the object had a definite trajectory that it kept repeating. So he just lined his plane up along the trajectory of the object, and when it was coming back around its loop, the object would have either had to, would have crashed into him if it had kept going on its trajectory. But the pilot, Gera, his name's, um, this, uh, what's his first name here? Um, his name is Julio, Julio Guerra. He was brave enough to just take the chance. He assumed that the uh, object would would go off course to avoid hitting him. And it was just his way of making the object do something different so that they could maybe learn something about it. So he headed right in a head-on pathway against this object. I thought that was pretty shockingly amazing. Well, he was playing chicken with a UFO. Watch. Playing chicken yeah, with a UFO. Yeah, and just was willing to risk a head-on collision, basically under the assumption wow. that the object would go off course, and he wanted to see what it would do. And the other pilots were watching the whole thing. So um, I'm not going to tell I'm not going to give away the end of the story because I want people to read it. But <laughs> oh. it, it was really an amazing account. But he's still here, so at least that he's tells still us still here. Something. Still oh. here and still fascinating. He, he's actually a captain. He flies for the major airline in, Portu in Portugal now, Portugalia Air. Airline, I'll make a note of that. If I'm traveling to Portugal, I want him to be the yeah. pilot. He survived the UFO. Seen any other, yeah. Never seen another one, but he's uh, he's not at all afraid of flying or anything. He just he was incredibly uh, curious, but not frightened. And most of the other pilots had some fear around their their events. So I thought it was yeah. That's I wonder what the word for cojones is in Portuguese. I don't know. Because <laughs> he had them. We need a linguist here. Yeah, that's 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 a it is a quite a fascinating account, and you, and you have to admire yeah, the man. You know, so, I just like to ahead. make the point here that um, you know the, the real purpose of this book was to try and reach. It's really written for people. I mean, it's written for everyone, but the, the focus of it is to try and reach people who don't really know anything about UFOs. I think a lot of these cases are somewhat familiar to people that that who listen to your show because they're they're well versed in the subject. What's different is the fact that they're written actually in the first person by the actual people involved. But even beyond that, um, you know, the, the intention behind this whole book is to sort of break through a barrier and to reach the mainstream public who normally would never read a book about UFOs. But I'm hoping, that, you know, and I just want listeners to know that if a lot of this sounds familiar to them, that's the reason. It's, um, it's really a try to try and hook the person who knows nothing. I'm going to ask the left field question here, the devil's advocate question. Mm -hmm. The skeptic's going to say this. Okay, the people you had contribute sightings to the book. How did you vet those sightings? Did you do some independent investigation? Well, as much as I could. I mean, I, I found corroboration. I talked to other witnesses. I looked at documents. You know, I did as, and every case is different in terms of the, the level at which I was able to do that. Um, so, you, you know, you'd have to ask me about a specific case, but to the extent that I could verify what was in the accounts, I did. But I also, for instance, if a general was telling me something, um, I, you know, I let his, his 
his uh, standing within the military. The fact that he was a general really carried a lot of the weight as to what he was saying, and it was impossible for me to to fact check every single thing that these people told me. But, you know, it would have involved going to the countries and spending a lot of time, which I wasn't in a position to do. So um, I'm comfortable with what's put forward there, and I'm comfortable with the uh, amount of data there is to back up the accounts that the people give. Now, were there any pieces of information that didn't pass muster where you had to basically reject a contribution because you found out maybe the citing wasn't well documented? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I, without naming any specifics, there were, um, there was, an, uh, within another country, there were, uh, I was working with two different officials who seemed to contradict each other in terms of, they're reporting on a very specific case down there, so I worked with them for a long time, but I basically had to decide that this is, you know, that I, I couldn't work with the material because it was contradictory, and I, I wasn't in a position to go down there. And so this was, this was one situation that I couldn't use their material. Now, in the uh, light of contributing to your book, did you find any of the people that you work with were contacted by their respective governments and told, you know what, do you really want to do this? I was not told that that happened to anybody. I mean, um, a lot of these people are retired as well, so they they have more more liberty to do what they want to do. Um, I know that Captain Rodrigo Bravo Garrido from Chile. He's only 32 years old, and he's he's actively employed with the Aviation Army of Chile, and he has to get cleared before he can put stuff out like this. He he had to get cleared by the the uh, you know, bureaucracy there, or his superiors within the Aviation Army to come to our press conference in uh, November of 2007. So I, uh, I think he's the only one who's really has that kind of, um, you know, control placed on him because everyone else is pretty much, um, you know, pretty much retired and fairly independent. Captain Bowyer is still flying. Captain Ray Bowyer, who was um, the British pilot who had the sighting in 2007, he's not retired, but. You know, again, it's in other countries. You don't have the kind of restrictions that are placed on people here. And I haven't heard any of them tell me that they've had any problems being told not to do this. Now, overall, in your recovery of documents through Freedom of Information, what obstacles have you encountered? Uh, boy, major obstacles, which I know a lot of people encounter, which is, you know, delays, lack of responsiveness, not coming up with things that you know they have. That happened to me with the Kecksburg incident with NASA. I knew for a fact that they had certain documents because I already had them in my files, and yet they wrote back a letter saying they didn't have the documents. So that's why we were able to file a lawsuit. We actually had to file a lawsuit on the Kecksburg case, the FOIA case, to get NASA to carry out its responsibilities. So it's a really a problem um, for people. The now, is the Obama administration any more forthcoming? I mean, they talked about greater levels of transparency, and that's been disputed by the opposition on the political spectrum. But do you find they're any more cooperative for the things you're doing? Yeah, I mean, I see. I haven't filed any FOIA requests since in the last few years, so I, I really couldn't say. But I know that, of course, when Obama came into office. Um, I know that Obama made a statement when he first came to office about, you know, being committed to openness in government. As to whether this any of this has trickled down into the actual offices that deliver documents to people who write FOIA requests, I'm not I don't know because I haven't filed any of my own in the last since Obama came to office. So 
uh, I think we need major reforms in the in the whole system because it just doesn't work for people. But I I can't comment on to the extent of whether that's actually how much that may have changed or not in, in the last few years. Now, John Podesta, of course, has friends in high places. Has he made any effort to work with you to get stuff you can't get? Well, no. I mean, he was only the only initiative I worked on was the Kexberg case, and there's information on that um, about that on my website for people who aren't familiar. And he was a supporter of that initiative, but he was not actually actively, you know, helping to get the documents. He was basically standing by and, and lending his support and was very interested in how it how it all turned out. So, no, the answer to that is he hasn't actually gone out and tried to get anything. Have you asked him at all to talk to the government officials, the Obama administration or Hillary Clinton, and say, you know what, really, we've got to get some disclosure here. We've got to get some end game here to find out what's going on. Right, and I, I agree, and this is one of the, the purposes of the book is to facilitate that, and I'm, what I'm hoping is that once the uh, momentum is built up around it, that it can serve as a tool through which we can make progress in that arena. I mean, I don't particularly relate to the concept of disclosure. That's not the approach that, that we take. In I'll tell you what, we'll ask about for. that in a moment. I just want to remind you that you can interact with us this way. Go to forum.thepowercast.com, forum.thepowercast.com, and join up with our message boards where you can post your comments about shows and, as a matter of fact, almost anything in particular. We have Leslie okay. Kane, author of a new book on UFOs. I'm Gene Steinberg. Our co-host is Chris O'Brien. You're in The Paracast. <laughs> Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We have Leslie Kane. She's author of a brand new book, very new because it just went on sale, called UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. And it's a book that she wrote certain portions of it, and she also had a number of other people, government officials, military, etc. Even our friend Nick Pope has been on the show several times. They all contributed to this book with sightings and other information. So maybe in this last hour of the show here, Leslie, let's look at the end game. You don't like the word disclosure, so what do we call it, the process of finding out what's going on? Um, yeah, because our focus is really not so much to find out uh, what you know, what may have been kept secret, let's put it that way. 
but um, the approach is to set up a new government agency, a small one, which would not cost very much, that can link with other agencies around the world that are already uh, working on the subject, and many of them are represented in the book by the, the heads of those agencies. And we want the U.S. government to decide that it's going to support this small agency. It doesn't really have to do very much except authorize the, some department to set it up. The point being that what we should be asking for is an investigation that will lead us to the discovery of what these objects actually are. And we can't be uh, assuming that they're extraterrestrial, telling our officials that and expecting our officials to respond to that. It's just not the way it works. They'll think and you're a bunch of wackos. Disclosure concept. What's that? They'll think you're a bunch of wackos if you demand that you tell us yeah, that I mean, E.T. is here. The disclosure concept has a built-in presumption that it's an accepted, it's a given fact that the UFOs are extraterrestrial vehicles that are here. And we cannot, that isn't an accepted fact. Most people do not agree that that's an accepted fact, and they're not going to accept that as an accepted fact until scientists can do a legitimate investigation that determines that for us. And that's the step we need to take now, is for the U.S. government to be willing to play some kind of a minimal role in... Uh, you know, contributing to a, a worldwide effort to find out. And it doesn't have to be anything that's super public or with a lot of fanfare. They just have to be willing to fund a small office. We can use the model of the of the office in France, the Japon. And I've gone over there and I've spoken to the people over there. And I know how that system works. And it really doesn't take a lot of money or resources to do it, but it could make a huge difference. But how so do you I know then? How do you know then, Leslie, that the government doesn't already have this going on behind the scenes? They may have something deep, dark, buried behind the scenes. That's quite possible. We don't know one way or the other, you know, and you're right, they could. But this is something that would be completely separate from that. This is a public, an office that would be responsible to the public. Everything it does would be made public. Um, and its purpose would be to be set up so that if an event took place, let's say like the Chicago O'Hare incident, for instance, it would be set up so that when an event took place that was worthy of, of investigation, such as that one, uh, the system would be in place by which the, the, the event could be investigated very efficiently, quickly, and made public. The, the results of that investigation would be made public. That that's would be one purpose of the agency. And that's how they do it in Pond. They have a whole network of officials throughout the country that are in place and ready to assist with any kind of investigation that's needed. And they just take on the various cases that need to be probed. It would not be a secret, hidden program you know, that um, goes on in the background that nobody knows about. This would be very much something that's available to the public. It would have a board of people that were, you know, not government people that would be working with it and would be helping out. So the, the, the secret government program, if there is one, can just continue on its merry way. But this is something that would sort of have to operate in parallel to that and in a really different kind of a framework. Wouldn't that be the danger, though, that it was a secret program investigating UFOs and its implications? Wouldn't that work across purposes to a public agency? Well, possibly, but I don't, you know, I don't know to what extent there is a secret investigation going on. And I don't, you know, I think it would depend on some people have proposed that this, a lot of the people involved with the secret program want it to become public. So this is a way that maybe... It could become public slowly, and, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's going on behind the scenes. I just think this is the rational approach that people can get behind, and I've also talked to enough people 
that are connected with government or that are involved with government to the extent that I believe this is really an achievable goal. Um, and I've been advised that. And I don't think that, you know, screaming and yelling about something called disclosure and claiming that the ETs are here is going to get us anywhere. It hasn't yet, and I don't think it will in the future either. And I think uh, this is a much more feasible, practical, and achievable goal. Well, it sure makes sense from a public relations standpoint, too. The more that the government goes into denial, the louder and more shrill the, uh, you know, the disclosure, exopolitics. Uh, Wackos. Well, I was trying to be kind, Gene, but... No, 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 this is the Paracast. We are not politically correct here. <laughs> well, the, the louder and more shrill the, the wackos uh, seem to get. So I think uh, uh, some sort of official recognition of the subject, at the very least, and, and I think a small agency, as, as you're proposing, would go a long way to at least show the public at large that this is a real issue. It's not a non-issue. And it would give uh, the government plausible deniability for all the secret stuff that they're going to be doing anyway. Right. I mean, I think your point about uh, it, it's an acknowledgement that there is a subject and it's worthy of investigation. Just by the fact that they even set this thing up, they're acknowledging that fact. And to me, that alone is a big breakthrough because our government doesn't acknowledge that at this point. Leslie, how do we prevent that from, say, becoming another Project Blue Book? Well, I mean, that's, of course, something that everybody would want to avoid. And I think there is enough awareness of how of what the mistakes were at Project Blue Book. There's been so much written about it. There's so much known about it that I can't imagine if we had a board of people set up to, you know, work closely with the staffers within this office, which may only be one, two, three people, that were conscious of the whole problem with the Condon Committee. I think that we could be very capable of, of overseeing this agency and just not allowing that to happen again. Hopefully we would have enough people involved with the setting up of the agency within our government. If we had somebody like John Podesta, for instance, who could you know, influence it in some way, um, we're going to put staffers in there that are not interested in wasting their time and doing something, repeating the mistakes of the past. You know, looking at the overall picture of this agency, so it sounds to me like it's a small collating kind of group providing public information, but who does the investigation? Who funds the investigation? Does the government kick in money for the Air Force or military agencies? Do local police do it? Do independent investigators go out to check these cases? Well, that's a very good question. I think, of course, all of this has to be worked out over time. But if you want to look at the French model, um, I mean, every case is going to be different in terms of what it requires to properly investigate it. I think that, yes, there will absolutely have to be a budget for it, but I don't think it would be a very big one because so many uh, so many resources are already set up that, need, that, you know, that can be used if there was a case to investigate, such as, for instance, in O'Hare Airport. The, uh, if we had this agency set up, our official from that agency would be able to fly to O'Hare immediately, talk to everybody, talk to all the pilots, talk to all the witnesses, get access to any data that was that had been accumulated during the time, all the radar data, all the voice tapes, all that information, because this is a government official, would be provided. And in that situation, I don't think it would cost a lot. It would depend on what kind of uh, you know resources were needed. I mean, there may be labs that might be needed to study physical evidence that would have to be paid for. But the labs already exist; they don't have to be government labs. You know, things can be contracted out 
to existing agencies. So photographs can be analyzed by the best labs in the country, and they can be – obviously, there's going to have to be some money involved, but it really doesn't have to be a lot, in my opinion. Yeah, not you know, when you compare starters, it to the amount of money we spent on bailing out banks and stuff. I mean, Exactly, and this is, of course, to get the ball rolling. I mean, ultimately, we, what we would hope for is that once this agency is set up and there's a certain legitimacy that's given to the subject within the U.S. government and within the U.S. culture in general – then what happens is the scientists start becoming more interested because they say, oh, our government says this, this is worthy of, of study. They set up an agency. Well, they, they think it's interesting. Okay, I'm going I'm to take more of an interest in it. You're going to have scientists, therefore, you know, applying for grants, and you're going to have money. This agency can help release funds from various scientific national science foundation or whoever funds these scientists. And we want to get so into that in a moment, Leslie. We okay. have Leslie Kane, author of a new UFO book, which is contributed by generals, pilots, government officials. Co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Hey, neighbors, have you been thinking about starting a website? Well, I'm going to tell you about a great offer from HostGator. HostGator is a world-famous leader in web hosting, and they make it easy for you to get your own .com domain name. You create your very own website with their free site builder tools and great selection of templates. Use the coupon code PARACAST. Once again, use the coupon code PARACAST and sign up at this special address, theparacast.com slash gator. That's G-A-T-O-R, theparacast.com slash gator. For 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Have you ever felt like the United States government knows way too much about your financial affairs? I continue to hear stories about property seizures, frozen bank accounts, confiscation of stocks and bonds. It makes me wonder if the U.S. citizen will ever again have the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, with the Drug and Money Laundering Act, the IRS Revenue Ruling 6045 of 1984, and the Trading with the Enemy Act and Franklin D. Roosevelt's Executive Order of 1933, some precious metal holdings are subject to government intervention. For this reason, Midas Resources has prepared a report explaining the boundaries of trading precious metals privately. Whether if you have any intention of trading with Midas Resources or not, I have instructed my representatives to give this report out free. Call for your free copy at 1-800-686-2237. When investing, always proceed with caution. Again, call 1-800-686-2237. Exercise your legal right to trade metals privately. 1-800-686-2237. You worry, but only because you're paying attention. What's happening in the Gulf of Mexico illustrates an audacity toward nature. A similar audacity called GMO, or genetically modified organisms, means that the quality of commercially grown food may be compromised with our health in the balance. Now that summer's here, what better time to learn about the bounty that nature provides in wild edible food? Let author Linda Runyon show you the best-kept secret in plain sight, that food is everywhere you look. This summer, for the cost of a good meal or two out, you can literally starvation-proof yourself and your loved ones against any future craziness, and put up tons of free food, too. Whatever experiment is being run on us, you can rest assured that Linda's 50 or so staple foods aren't involved. Our foods are their enemy. 
So go to ofthefield.com or call toll-free 1-888-51-EAT-FREE and take that first step. Make your oasis of food security and nutrition now. That's O-F-T-H-E-F-I-E-L-D.com or call 1-888-513-2837. Start now and make 2010 your year of independence. Before you throw away your used batteries, you need to listen to this. Now, going green can save money. Go green and save money by giving life to your used batteries by charging them with the Renaissance Charger. The Renaissance Charger uses a new revolutionary battery charging technology that effectively extends the life of new batteries and gives new life to used batteries. Invented by legendary audio genius John Bedini, this unique and patented charging system rejuvenates the electrochemical plate structure in the battery without additives, increasing capacity and maintaining cell integrity. Renaissance Charge offers a full line of products made in the USA for all types and sizes of batteries. Find out why our customers tell us the Renaissance Charger is the only battery charger they will ever use. Save your money. Save the environment. Visit us online at r-charge.com. That's r-charge.com. Or call us at 208-772-4514. That's 208-772-4514. Be a part of the revolution today. How do you spell hard-hitting talk radio? G-C-N. The Genesis Communications Radio Network. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out on iTunes. Leslie Kane joining us for three more segments. Her new book is UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. Now, I'm going to look at some of the downsides here, okay, because I think we all want some kind of intense investigation to see what's going on. What's going to happen if they try to bring up this agency right now in this political climate? You'll have the opposition saying, oh, those the tax and spend liberals are trying to waste our government money on flying saucers. How can they get away with such a thing? So how do you combat that? Is this book one way that's really going to do it? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, our plan is to let the book develop some momentum for a while. And, um... Then we, 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 you know, I already have people in place that are willing to help try to make this happen. And the, what I've been told from my my people is that it, first of all, we made the point that it's not going to cost a lot. So I don't think that this, yeah, I mean, there are going to be certain negative people who are going to come out and make comments like the ones you just said. But the idea is to sort of be very low key about this and to sort of slip it in, you know, within some kind of budget that's being developed within a certain committee, you know, a congressional committee that might oversee, like, certain budgets within the, let's say, Department of Defense or something. And, you know, there's you're talking about huge amounts of money, and they just, we just sort of, we, we get this thing worked in somehow to the program. And it's not going to, it's going to take a tiny amount of money to do it, and hopefully it's not going to be a big deal. I mean, that's sort of, we just want it to happen quietly, let's put it that way. And you know, I can't anticipate what the response is going to be. If people say, you know, a waste of money on flying saucers, well, we'll just have to deal with that at the time. 
Do you have a budget, a budget for this kind of program, something to say, hey, um, it's going to cost no. this much for the office space, this much for personnel, and for investigative efforts? Do you have anything like that? No, I mean, Gene, that's really way, way beyond. You know, basically sure. I sort of have with some other some colleagues sort of a, a basic kind of ground plan of what we think should happen, but none of the details have been worked out. And there's lots of other people I'm sure that will weigh in on it when it happens. And all that kind of stuff will have to be worked out. We're just trying to sort of get that initial door open, you know. But I probably wouldn't even be the one to, to decide that. I mean, I'm not going to, I'm not in any position to try to figure out what a budget would be. But hopefully the people that are, you know, will come around at the time. So really, I mean, we have a very generalized plan that, that is going to require a lot of refining and, and thought before it's actually going to be able to be implemented. Hopefully that's going to be a, a process that will take a little time, but will happen. I have a feeling it's going to take a really spectacular multi-witnessed event to create the public groundswell that's going to be needed to uh, to really give some sort of motivation, I think, to uh, to the government to take this whole thing finally, take it seriously and stop being in denial. I mean, it might take uh, a mothership landing in Red Square or in Lafayette Park, maybe not on the White House lawn, but, you know, maybe across the street on Lafayette Park, that might do it. Um, I just have a real problem with, you know, a government that's been lying to us, uh, obviously, to some degree, for 60 years on the subject. And one of the things that I constantly hear myself saying about the disclosure pipe dream is that how could you trust a government that has been lying to you for 60 years, even if they told you the truth? So I think your idea of creating an official body, finally, uh, you know, I think modeled after the French uh, example, that's going to go a long way, I think, to finally get this subject moving forward. I'm off my uh, soapbox, Eugene. No, I mean, I agree. And, I, you know, you have to realize that a number of the contributors in the book who, who are very outspoken about this issue are people that have headed up government bodies in other countries. Right. So just because you're part of a government body doesn't automatically mean that you, you're a liar or you're, you're hiding things or you can't be trusted or, you know, the way people tend to react. I mean, I really believe we just have to have faith that, like we have in these other countries, we can get staffers in the American agency working with people outside of that agency very closely also that, that can uh, rise to the occasion just the way they have in other countries. And the thing about a major event, like you said, yeah, that would be uh, pretty spectacular, but we can't wait around for that. I don't yeah, know. I'm not holding my breath. <laughs> and, you know, there is the element that, uh, which a lot of people are concerned about, of national security and aviation safety problems. And if there was some event where, let's say, something, like you said, some spectacular thing was really close to the ground or did something different that it's never done before, we have no way of knowing how our defense system is going to respond to that because nobody's trained, nobody's prepared. And so there's risk involved in not uh, getting something in place where, you know, we can be a little more prepared and more and less ignorant where we can become informed about what may lie ahead so that we don't react in some kind of knee-jerk way that, that is, is dangerous and counterproductive, which is what the risk is. Of course, we've also had, what, more than 60 years of UFOs. If we go back through history, maybe hundreds or thousands of years of UFOs. So we could look at the downside saying, well, why bother? I mean, they're not doing anything to harm us. Just let it happen. 
That's another. I mean, a lot of people would, and I think it's a, it's a legitimate question, really, is the question of, you know, why should this, why is this important? Why should we spend even an ounce of time on this given all the problems we face in the world? And then there are problems that are only going to be getting worse over time. And I think probably, I think that's a legitimate position to take. I mean, I don't happen to agree with it because I know enough about this phenomenon to believe that the discovery of this could be a very transformative event for our civilization and our our world because it it could change the way we view who we are and so one doesn't one can't anticipate the implications that that might have for all aspects of our of how we live our lives and our the way our society is structured or who knows what but once you know once you get the knowledge to understand that there's something really going on here it's it's I don't see how one can turn you know how you can turn your back on something that could be so explosive if it was ever properly investigated and really, really, I mean, it has been investigated. I don't mean to diminish all the great work that's been done on this by people, but I mean, really taken upon a large scientific community internationally to to become proactive and to decide they're going to find out a lot more about it. That could really change our perceptions of of who we are and and what life is and everything else. So I don't think it's something that can be, it should be minimized. The alternative here would be to maybe get a grant from one of these very rich people. Like we know, for example, that many of the billionaires are going to be giving away a large portion of their wealth to charity, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, people like that. What about going to private industry and saying, hey, give us a few million, we can set up the office, maybe hire a few investigators and do it that way, not like, as they say, a low-budget UFO investigative body with volunteers like a MUFON, not to attack MUFON. I'm sure everyone who works with them is very dedicated, but something that has enough money behind it to really do something, forget about the governments. Yeah, I mean, that's. I think that that's the other option. I mean, ideally, you'd want to have it be within the government because then it has the official recognition. It has that st- official stamp, as, as Edgar Mitchell puts it. it. It becomes part of the official structure, and it can interact with other governments. But, you know, if that's an absolute impossibility, you know, yes, if you can get somebody to fund a, a nonprofit, an NGO type of organization. Again, if it's outside the government, you know, it's not going to be able to accomplish the same level, I don't think, of, of um, you know, work in terms of accessing funding for scientists from government agencies and all the things that go on when you're part of the government structure, but they could even both happen. Okay, I'll tell you what, we'll get into this in a moment. Leslie Kane, author of a new UFO book, our co-host Chris O'Brien, I'm Gene Steinberg, you're in the Paracast. <laughs> Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Fortean phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know.
This is Alex Jones with five good reasons you should consider buying a solar power generator. Number one, new climate legislation could easily double or triple your electric bill. Number two, our new energy czar wants to control how much power your electric company allows you to have. It's true. Total government control of electricity in the name of smart grid technology is coming. Number three, in some areas of the country, the power grid is dangerously overloaded. And now new socialist legislation is only compounding the problem. Number four, dangerous weather is always a threat to local grids. Every year, thousands of families lose their power from weather-related outages. Number five, a solar power generator provides powerful backup insurance and peace of mind. Folks, I really believe in the solar power generators offered by Solutions from Science, one of my oldest sponsors. You can get more information at www.mysolarbackup.com. That's mysolarbackup.com. Remember, the government doesn't own the sun, so go to mysolarbackup.com or call 1-877-327-0365. Your natural organic herbal formula for heart health is Heart and Body Extract. My name is Stan, and I'm 68 years old, and I live in Vermont. In the spring of 2003, I started to have problems with my heart. It felt like my heart was pounding. It made me feel breathless. I tried many, many different things to try to get some help for myself. Nothing did anything. Heart and Body Extract is very powerful, very effective, and works quickly. I saw one of Sharon's ads and ordered Heart and Body Extract. I noticed a difference quickly, within days. The episodes became less frequent, and by a month, I completely vanished. Usually, you find a 30-day or 60-day guarantee. Heart and Body Extract comes with a lifetime 100% ironclad money-back guarantee. Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. Call 866-295-5305. 866-295-5305 for Heart and Body Extract. Attention, an important product from HempUSA.org, Microplant Powder, will change your life by removing all types of positive toxins, such as heavy metals, parasites, bacteria, viruses, and fungus from the digestive tract and stomach wall so you can absorb nutrients. Microplant Powder is 89% silica and packed with a negative charge that attracts positive toxins from the blood, organs, spine, and brain. This product has the ability to rebuild cartilage and bone, which allows synovial fluid to return to the joints. Silica is a precursor to calcium, meaning the body turns silica into calcium and is great for the heart. There is no better time than now to have microplant powder on your shelf or in your storage shelter. And with an unlimited shelf life, you can store it anywhere. Call 908-691-2608 or visit hempusa.org. It's a great way to change your life. So call 908-691-2608 or visit us at hempusa.org today. Tired of searching for great talk radio? Search no more. I just want to hear more of it. We are the GCN Radio Network. Yes, yes, yes. You're in the parakeet. You never know what's going to happen next. We have Leslie Kane joining us for two more sessions. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. And we were talking about, you know, whether it would be feasible to have a private agency do this. And I'm not thinking of something with ten, twenty, or $100,000, but if it doesn't happen with a million, sure, Bill Gates can hand you a billion dollars without taking a breath. Warren Buffett, maybe if those people gave you a huge sum of money, it would have to be taken seriously. Totally, and 
and, and not me, but they would be given to some kind of an organization that would there would be a scientifically based organization that would uh, you know provide I guess I assume grants to scientists and try to pull the scientific community in and of course that would be a wonderful thing because you can go direct to the scientists and bypass the government. I think that's that's a, that's a feasible option and that the scientists. Once they became more involved and, um, you know, the whole thing became uh, more legit, then ultimately the government would come along anyway. So, you know, two of uh, the two writers in the book that wrote the piece about the UFO taboo, Dr. Wendt and Duval, the two political scientists who wrote this piece for my book, very much believe that that's, they, they're very much behind the NGO idea that you just proposed. And they've thought a lot about it and put out, some ideas about how that could happen and what the group could do and so on. So I think it's it's a very, of course, it's a very valid and interesting approach as well. Well, one of the um, things gonna, you'd have with that yeah. is you wouldn't have the borders of the government and restrictions because of the fact that the U.S. government doesn't want to sacrifice national security. So let's not talk to, heck, let's not talk to the British. Forget about not talking to the Russians or Saudi Arabia or something. They won't even talk to the British if there's security concerns. But if you're a non-government organization, you don't have that limitation. You can contact scientists anywhere around the globe and recruit them and get work done. Well, that's true. But on the other hand, you don't have the access that government officials have. You're not going to have access to all this official data, you know, within 24 hours, say, at O'Hare Airport, if you walk in there and you're a scientist. If you're a government official, you can get everything you need to investigate a case quickly. And so that's, that's the advantage that the government agency has. You know, they're part of the official system. They can demand whatever they want. So, I mean, there, I think there's pros and cons to both, both sides of that. Looking at the conspiratorial theory, let's say the government knows a lot about this. Certainly it's been running around. There have been investigations for a lot of years. Is it possible that they are planning a gradual revelation of this, just as we learned, for example, there are more Earth-like planets around the universe we discover that. We discover the life in the Martian meteorites, etc., etc. There's water on the moon. There's water on Mars. How many more steps would it take to be part of a gradual, I won't say disclosure, a gradual awareness? Yeah, now when you say they are planning something, I'm just curious who this they is. I would assume they is government, that there are people in the government who maybe are aware of what's going on. I can't think they're that stupid. There have to be military people who have all this evidence, especially if a lot of it's been disclosed, and they have to say, you know what, we've got to have a plan. Maybe there is a plan afoot, but they're not telling you. You don't have okay, any need so to know. You think, it's, you think it's feasible that this this uh, this group within the government really has the ability to impact, you know, all the things in the culture and the media? And I mean, I I don't know. I just you know, when I hear things like that, I tend to to back away and not think that that that's likely what's going on. I okay, so what do they know? What do they know? Are they just totally ignorant of what's going on? They just want to well, sweep it under it the rug? Well, I think it depends on what you mean by they. How you define the government. They being government. Let's talk about U.S. government. When we define they, let's assume that our term refers to people within the government. After okay, all these so years, wouldn't like, they know something? Well, I think some of them probably do. I think most of them don't. Quite honestly, that if you're talking about elective members of Congress, say... Well, that's, it goes without saying they don't know what's going on. I'm talking about <laughs> military more officials. More than just you know, UFOs. Yeah, you know, they, the people who are life-termers, not just the bureaucrats, but the military, the people who have been working there for decades, confronted with all this information. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know, Jean. I mean, I assume that some of them, I really don't know the answer to that question. I mean, I've, I've explored that in the book, to, you know, the both sides of the question of whether there's a secret program and a cover-up and how much they, I mean, I... We've got to get more of those people. people that know something. Obviously, we've got, there we've must got to get them to come forward if there are those people. One of the things that I really appreciated uh, in your book was Chapter 25 by, by Five Symington, who did something very rare in this field uh, for a public official. He actually did a mea culpa. And, uh, of course, uh, long-time listeners of the Paracast know about, about this story. But why don't you give us a little thumbnail sketch of Five Symington's yeah, role I mean, in the I Phoenix Lights. And, I agree that it's it's a very unusual story because he's been on both sides. He's been one of the the uh, people in the government hiding it and ridiculing it, and now he's done this flip and is on the opposite side. And you know, in case people don't know his, I mean, that's what's so interesting. He knows both sides of the fence intimately, and and he is of course a proponent for obviously for change in government as a result, but. People probably know the story that back in 1997, during the Phoenix Lights incident, he was the governor, and uh, he held what he called his spoof press conference, which everybody was so upset about, where this, his chief of staff came into the press conference dressed up as an alien. And uh, he said something like, you know, I'm gonna, we're going to explain this incident, and, you know, you're all taking it much too, uh, much too seriously, and they laughed, and... and People were very upset by this at the time, for obvious reasons. And um, he came out, you know, years later, ten years later, actually, and acknowledged that he had actually seen the thing himself, the object, and um, has become since a really outspoken advocate for change within the government. And he talks a lot in the book. I mean, he's written his own piece, as you mentioned, but I also have a lot of a lot of material I've included based on interviews with him, recent interviews, that where he talks about what it was like for him to be in that position as governor and why he has changed and what, how he sees it differently now. And it's a really interesting story. I mean, it's very rare as where you're going to have a government official that is as, is as open as he is and has had the kind of turnaround that he has had. Well, you know, of course, also, if we have to be fair about Five Symington, his departure as governor of Arizona was not done under the best of circumstances. I guess he's lived it down. He was pardoned officially and everything, but he did have a problem. Right. Okay, so does that impact at all his credibility and standing because he had that problem that got him out of office? Um, it doesn't, in my in my opinion, as, because of the the interviews I've done with him and the people I've talked to in Arizona about the politics of that state and what what kind of things go on in terms of uh, you know the political infighting that goes on in Arizona. And I mean, I'm not going to comment on all the details of what happened. With no, him. it doesn't matter. I know that I live in no, Arizona, and there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on here. We understand. Oh boy, <laughs> and, um, there's a lot you know, of weird stuff. May, he may have made some mistakes. I don't know. I think that Vice Symington, the man that I know, has a lot of integrity and uh, is very honest. And I don't feel that that has anything to do with what he's talking about here, quite honestly. Now, as a former governor, has he been able to influence his fellow governors to look at this issue? Well, I mean, he that's a good question. He does have a lot of friends in political places. He does talk about this, but I think he's really been waiting for this book to come out because it's sort of like something material that can be handed to people and used, and, and people can read it and get a new perspective on things. So he's going to be become much more active, you know, in the next year when we start really uh, moving forward with this. 
uh, before until now, he's basically he did the press conference with us in 2007, and he's been fairly quiet since. You know, waiting for the book, and he but he, he, talking to people privately, but nothing beyond that at this point. But that's going to change. So with the book out, with circulation increasing as you do more and more public appearances on different radio and TV shows, are you going to bring people like a Fife Symington with you? Yeah, if they if they uh, are asked to, absolutely. Fife, he's, he's willing to participate, as are many of the other people. Would he so come on the Paracast on with you? Yeah, I, I would think so. Okay, let's I work mean, that out. I mean, you just got to make the request. Make the request, and then, you know, we can see what we can do. Okay, we'll look at that. By the way, we have Leslie Kane. She's author of a book called UFOs, Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials. Go on the record with a lot of material that maybe some of you have heard, some of you have not heard. Our co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. For one more session, you're in the Paracast. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwoods. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. You've seen our Sinofresh banner on the GCN website, yet your sinusitis is still a problem. Are you waiting for your sinusitis to go away by itself? Are you waiting for a Sinofresh discount? Okay, here it comes. But first, the facts. 67 other products merely treat symptoms and not the cause of sinus problems. And 37 million Americans suffer from sinus distress just like you. But now many are finding relief with the only patent-protected homeopathic nasal product that antiseptically eliminates the known causes of sinusitis. Sinofresh. Now, here's your limited time discount offer to use Sinofresh. Call 888-906-3636 right now for $2 off per bottle when you mention GCN. That's it. Just call 888-906-3636 and mention GCN for a $2 discount. But hurry, this offer is only for the first 1,000 customers. Call 888-906-3636. 888-906-3636. Call right now for $2 off per bottle. Mention GCN. Buy Sinofresh.com. It works. No one likes foreclosure. You won't say, think, or even consider foreclosure with ZeroDebtGuaranteed.com. Why? Because ZeroDebtGuaranteed.com guarantees to stop your foreclosure for at least two years with no payments, no bankruptcy, and no negotiating. Thinking loan modification? That still keeps you in default. Zero Debt in 90 Days is the only proven system that keeps you in your house for as long as you want to stay, while making it possible to even get clear title to your house. No, we are not investors, bankers, attorneys, 
attorneys or real estate agents. We are a group of people just like you that are sick and tired of the housing crash, and we've helped thousands avoid foreclosures since 1993. Please visit our website today, zerodebtguaranteed.com, or call to see how we can help save you tens of thousands of dollars and save your home. Call 800-477-9256, 800-477-9256. That's 800-477-9256, or visit zerodebtguaranteed.com. Guaranteed to stop foreclosure. Before you throw away your used batteries, you need to listen to this. Now, going green can save money. Go green and save money by giving life to your used batteries by charging them with the Renaissance Charger. The Renaissance Charger uses a new revolutionary battery charging technology that effectively extends the life of new batteries and gives new life to used batteries. Invented by legendary audio genius John Bedini, this unique and patented charging system rejuvenates the electrochemical plate structure in the battery without additives, increasing capacity and maintaining cell integrity. Renaissance Charge offers a full line of products made in the USA for all types and sizes of batteries. Find out why our customers tell us the Renaissance Charger is the only battery charger they will ever use. Save your money. Save the environment. Visit us online at r-charge.com. That's r-charge.com. Or call us at 208-772-4514. That's 208-772-4514. Be a part of the revolution today. Ten years, a decade of talk. Great Talk Radio is here on the Genesis Communications Network. You've entered another dimension. You've entered the Paracast. Leslie Kane joining us for our final visit for this week's session. Chris O'Brien is the co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the PowerCast. So let's look at, in the next 10 minutes or so, what's going to happen the next year. The book on the stands. You make the public appearances. What sort of work are you going to do to try to, as they say, spread the word, get the efforts going? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the work initially is to just get some some kind of momentum going on this issue in, in terms of it establishing a new level of credibility and uh, acceptance, you know, in the mainstream. And that's an important component, but what I'm really most interested in is the work that follows that, which has to do with putting into effect the goals that we outline in the book, which basically is, is what we've been discussing, getting this little small government body set up if we can, and we're going to try very hard to do it. That's really the work that's important. And, um, you know, we'll start, we'll take place in the next year or two. Um, I think the momentum is important because it does draw, it gives the book attention, and that's important in terms of, you know, being able to affect change. Um, but I'm really most interested in, in the structural change that we hope to accomplish in Washington. And how that will go about, you know, we'll be meeting with various people who will help guide us into uh, into the right structure and the right location for this agency and then the right committee and then the right, uh, you know, bill where it might be able to be added into a budget and that kind of thing. It's all very, just a lot of stuff like that that has to be, handled um, 
and might take some time, but you know that's that's really uh, the goal, the ultimate goal of this whole thing. Are there any plans for uh, a follow-up press conference similar to the ones that uh, you and James Fox did in 2007? I, I don't know because um, you know, but I, I don't want to just do a repeat of something we've already done, um, and it's also a very expensive thing to do because you've got to fly in people and and put them up and everything. I mean, if somebody wanted to provide a budget for something like that and somebody wanted to organize it, that would be great. But it's not something that I have the resources to do um, on my own. So we'll just see, we'll just see what happens once the, the word gets around. I, I don't know. Well, I think your, your book is, uh, is sorely needed in this field um, in terms of trying to get, as you mentioned at the outset of the show, trying to get people who normally would not – take an interest in this subject because of the woo-woo factor, because of a lot of the disinformation and, and uncritical thinking that's out there in the field. I think this book is going to go a long way in bringing people who are, who are skeptical but open-minded who would normally not deal with this subject. I think your book uh, is, is very well conceptualized uh, in its scope, and I think uh, you've really done a good job bringing very, very credible uh, people from the highest levels of the military and government together. Uh, any plans in the future for a follow-up book? Uh, you mentioned possibly doing one with scientists involved. Uh, you do mention Peter Sturrock, for instance, in there in the Sturrock Report. Right. Uh, have you thought, given any thought of doing a follow-up to this work uh, well, using the same really type of have. approach? Well, Chris, it's, it's very kind of you to even suggest that, that but um, I mean, I just finished this one, and I've been, it's been so hard and so overwhelming to get it done that I can't even think about it right now, anything else. You need a vacation, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. I'm not going to get one, but um, no, you know, now the next step is to just deal with the, the what's going to happen as a result of this, and we'll see what happens over time. You know, I think another really important point that you made about it, trying to reach people um, who wouldn't even normally read a book on UFOs. They're just not that concerned about it. Another important point in that whole scenario is the correct definition of the word UFOs. Because, you know, I established right at the beginning of the book, what does, what does the word UFO actually mean? It means right. unidentified flying object. And it's it's been such a problem in the culture and in, in the communication issues around this topic that people define it as an alien spacecraft. That's what most people think right. a UFO is, an extraterrestrial spacecraft. So then you get the question, do you believe in UFOs? And there's all these issues around whether you're a believer or not. And I think a, a real job that we all have is to try to separate the facts from the projections and for people to realize that this is not a matter of belief. Nothing in this book is about a matter of belief. It's about what do we actually know yeah. Actually, about this phenomenon, and what you know, what don't we know? And the root of that is to really understand what the word UFO means. Don't you agree that's important? Uh, absolutely. In fact, I see uh, in the book, throughout the book, that you rely on on other terminology as well, uh, unidentified aerial phenomenon being uh, the main uh, acronym that's being used throughout the book. I do think there is a stigma attached. I think languaging, uh, as you pointed out eloquently, is very, very crucial and, and important uh, in this whole realm. Ray Stanford, for instance, who I admire as one of our top analysts in the UFO realm uh, in the private sector, has come up with the term anomalous aerial object, AAO. There are other, uh, you know, ways to describe these craft, but I think they're, you're absolutely right. The term UFO um, it has a smell to it now, and it's tainted. And it's unfortunate that 
we haven't really languaged something I think that everyone can agree on that, that gets us beyond the little green men jokes at the end of local broadcasts and, and the automatic uh, off switch that gets clicked in, uh, in normally you know critical thinking rational people. Uh, this is a problem. I think your book is going to go a long way to help uh, get beyond this stigma that's been attached to this. I really think that you're doing uh, you, the job that you did on this book was was absolutely uh, groundbreaking in some sense of the word. Uh, and I really do hope you and wish uh, rather and hope for all the success that this book deserves. Well, I think Gene will agree much. that we really appreciated uh, the opportunity to be one of the first to talk about the book with you on the air. And uh, good luck. You're going to get a lot of attention with this. Well, I appreciate both of your support and your comments and your intelligent questions. And it's been a great I had a great time talking to you. Um, what's your gut feeling? I mean, where do you think, uh, just, I think in a, in sort of a general way, do you think there's any hope for, uh, for your proposal to, to go forward? Or do you think, do you think that people are so entrenched in their thinking that it's going to be virtually impossible to get this subject opened up to the, to a wider acceptance? Well, I mean, I, I definitely do think there's hope. Otherwise, I would never have, you know, put all the time and energy into this that I put into it. So I, I know that there are so many people that are so curious about this issue, and I think that even the status quo, when they are given the proper kinds of information from highly credible people, and it's not presented in a way that's accusing them of a cover-up or, you know, yelling and screaming at them or, you know, um, making claims that can't be verified and all of that. Um, I just, I'm very hopeful, and I, I know, you know, we already have some, here we have John Podesta, and there are others like him that are out there. They just don't speak about it. They haven't really had anything that's, that they can hang their hat on in a certain way or anything concrete. And we need, we need, we need a focal point, and I think that focal point is what this government agency is going to be when it's created. So I have a tremendous amount of hope, actually. And if I didn't, I think I'd be in trouble because that's what has to carry. That's what I have to rely on to carry this forward. I'm in a belief in what I'm doing, you know, an enthusiasm for it. I believe that this is an extremely important issue, and I've been, you know, I'm not going to let it go. And I'm going to do everything I can to implement the book's intent. And I believe that there's enough of a chance that it could happen that I'm willing to put all my energy into doing what I can to make it happen. The book is called UFOs, and the subtitle is Generals, Pilots, and Government Officials Go on the Record. And the author is Leslie Kane. She also has this new site, ufosontherecord.com, ufosontherecord.com. And what that is is a site where she'll have more information, follow-ups, blogs, and stuff like that as she progresses and continues with her researches and efforts to set up this agency. Chris O'Brien, tell our listeners where they can find more of the things that you write about. I do have a website, Gene. Uh, it's called Our Strange Planet, O-U-R Strange Planet. It is a strange planet. It's OurStrangePlanet.com. All my, uh, my entire database is there from my many years in the San Luis Valley investigating things that go bump in the night. So I urge everybody to go there and have a visit. My database is available for anyone who's interested enough to look at it. Thank you very much. Leslie Kane, Chris O'Brien, thank you both for joining us this week on the Paracast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on, and thank you, Gene. The Paracast is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in... 
The Paracast.